Hidden Gems, Episode 57, Spiel de Yars Losers, 2012 Edition. Welcome to Hidden Gems, a board game podcast where we review unusual, forgotten, and underappreciated board games. We're your hosts. My name is Chris. I'm Jason. This is Bill. And I'm Cameron. Thanks for listening to our show. Woohoo! Welcome back. <laughs> Look at this. Two in a row, all four hosts on the show. I know. When does that ever happen? Uh, that might be a first. I think actually. it's a first. Pretty exciting. You know, it's not my normal week, but I was like, I, I gotta be on these Spiel DRS episodes. Uh, yeah. Too good. They're too good to miss. I ac- almost accidentally omitted you, and I felt bad about that because... I was like, we're, we're playing a Spiel episode? Yeah. I was like, I'm not on it? He's like, I'm not. I'm off next episode. What are y'all doing? I was like, yeah, I think we're doing the Spiels. And Cameron's like, but... That's like my thing. <laughs> what, what about me? Plus, I already put so much time into playing most of the games anyway. That's true. Like you might as well. Might as well. And I'm really glad that I get to talk about the games in this one, especially the last one. Nice. Well, yeah, well, we're glad to have everybody, especially Bill. Bill hey. had a, about a COVID. Pretty bad one, actually. So we're glad you're on the mend, man. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I was, uh, yeah, look, uh, the Friday before Thanksgiving, um, it hit and it was, it was, um, how do I describe it without getting too much in the details? I was, it was, it was hard. It was a hard yeah, night. I wasn't yeah. sure I was going to wake up in the morning, actually, the next morning. Yikes. But um, yeah, you kind of uh, had us freaked out a little bit. You were talking yeah. about like having a hard time getting the next breath. And I was like, Gosh, geez. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a big believer in the antiviral that you can get as, oh, okay. as soon as you get it. And I think there for a while they were saying only get it if you were at risk or something like that. They're only giving out to a certain group of people. They didn't ask twice for me when I called my doctor says, yeah, you get it. It's like, okay, that's good. So I don't know if that's still going on or not, but I, I feel like that probably had an impact. Of course, there's not me who didn't take it. And so I don't really have a case to compare it to. But by the next day, I wasn't struggling for every breath. That's yeah. Good. So thank God for that. Yeah, yeah seriously. Yeah. I'm glad you. you're on the mend and good to have you. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. You've uh, had some life things going I on. I did. Like exciting you know, you adventures. Compare, <laughs> right. To compare and contrast that, the week before that, I went to Iceland, which was super cool. I got to get the Very other cool. pole on the planet, the North Pole, after I've gone to Antarctica last January. It was a super awesome trip. There's two things about it I really want to talk about. The first is the Northern Lights. Um, oh, yeah. Northern Lights are, are super cool. For you to be able to see them, there's a couple things that have to line up. The first thing is there has to be enough solar activity or solar storms to send out the plasma into space that may or may not hit the planet, right? So you got to be lucky that they're having the storms, lucky enough that they're going to be towards the planet. And then the weather conditions have to be right so that you can actually see it when they get there. Yeah. I mean, the last thing, of mm-hmm. course, is it has to be night. And so we were there over winter and so we had like always night in Iceland. Well, they have like yeah, five at a certain, hours of daylight or something in, in December. I think it gets to be like three hours of daylight at the very peak of, Oof. Uh, Gosh, that's rough. <laughs> that's of rough. the darkness, I think. But we, we were about 50, 50, which I, I think worked out great because we were, wanted to see the Northern lights, but there's so much cool geography to see in Iceland. Yeah. I mean, with all the lava flows, the, the glaciers that are out there and the volcanoes that are out there. I mean, to me, that was my favorite part was just driving around the countryside and just seeing this alien planet right. kind of thing. That was so cool. The other, like right on a fault line, so you get like everything, right? You do, you do, because there's a lot of volcanoes. What's kind of <laughs> also wild about it being the fault line is between the you know the eastern and western hemispheres. It is actually separating, so Iceland's getting bigger. So it's mm. opening up the mm. fault so the, the magma can pour through 
It's different than California in that those two fault lines are pushing together. So one of them is sliding under the other one. Mm -hmm. So when they have, you know, their earthquakes, it can end up being worse because just the action of those two. I guess there's more volcanic activity when it's separating versus two two of them pushing together. The other thing I want to mention in the Northern Lights, we did end up with a super active day. There's the Iceland Met that measures the solar activity. It goes from a scale of like zero to nine. When we first got there, there were one or twos and we went out and we saw some and it was kind of nice. The third night, it was like a four or a five, and we went out, and I've got some great wow, pictures of it. Do. That have showed a, them to us. A spectrum of colors, yeah, like the reds and purples and greens and stuff like that. One of the dirty little secrets about it is you don't see that with your naked eye yeah. at all. It's like white, a little bit of green. But when you take it with your camera, that's when it shows up. It's funny how many people that's on their bucket list to see the northern lights, and I was this way. I didn't know that I didn't actually see that when you're looking, right? You yeah. see something wow. else. Oh, and people are like underwhelmed. Yes and no. I mean, it depends on who it was. If you're the older crowd, it, yes, but it is one of those two-step things of like, this is going on in my atmosphere and my human body is not quite wired to get it, but right. you, know, but you have to just fully appreciate the technology, I guess, that you can you yeah, use to capture neat. it. Well, that's cool. Huh. The last thing I want to talk about was, I don't know if you guys saw in the news, but there was a, a volcano that's kind of imminent to erupt that's just right outside of Reykjavik. Oh, and wow. uh, there's a really nice spa there. It's called the Blue Lagoon, which... Yeah. It actually naturally occurred when they were putting in this geothermal plant and everything there runs on geothermal plant. But it's there's silicon in the water that's supposedly really good for your skin. It's at a constant 98 degrees. And we kind of wow. like, we, we went. Did you do the our, face mask, though? Did the face mask and everything. <laughs> I look 10 years younger, your don't I, Chris? <laughs> What's that? Cucumbers on your <laughs> eyes. <laughs> no, no cucumbers. But they, they had a free drink out of the bars that were like floating around in it and having a drink. It was super nice. But as we were standing there in the lobby, uh, a 4.2 earthquake hit while we Whoa. were there. And it was, it like was in funny. the water? No, no. We were standing oh. in the lobby and they were giving us a little rundown about going in. And then, as, and the person behind the counter goes, "Oh, we get those all the time." <laughs> and we're like, "Really?" And it was hysterical because there was a 86 year old grandmother that was with this traveling with this group, and that was one of the things that she said was on her bucket list: "Is I want to experience an earthquake." And it was funny. Right as that happened, I looked at, at her, and she was like so freaking excited, like she had just, <laughs> you know, won the lottery. And, and then, like you know, 30, 40 seconds later, there was like a three point something that, that followed up right after, and it was like, "Guy, yeah, this happens all the time." The very next day, our tour company stopped the tours at Blue Lagoon. The following day, Blue Lagoon closed completely, and they haven't reopened. Oh, wow. And they've they evacuated that yeah, city. They're anticipating <laughs> yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. It's like, oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen. So you and made it like the last possible day. We, yes. It's I still closed even now. It's still closed they're even now. They're just waiting, I guess. Yeah, they're waiting. And there's, thing. there's uh, like a five-centimeter rise of the earth over two weeks, which is pretty significant. There's a big magma pool that's putting a bunch of pressure and they don't know, you know, where it's going to come up. And it's most likely going to come out some fissure and, and be kind of slow, but it, there's a small possibility it could be a cataclysmic sort of thing oh, or gosh. a bunch Goodness. of stuff blows. And anyway, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, but that's kind of living in Iceland. They have volcanoes all the time. Wow. Yeah. So. yeah. No, that's super cool. Love hearing yeah. about your adventures. We were scheduled to go in September, my wife and I, for our anniversary, mm-hmm. and we punted it out a year. So I kind of hope the volcano doesn't destroy everything <laughs> in the next year, at least. Well, there there was one that was go. that was pretty active. They used to be like a tourist site to go to that you could go and see the, the lava flowing because yeah. it was really super consistent. And I, I don't know what's happened to it, if it died down or something. But It, it was, was in re- the same area. Exactly yeah. the same area, yeah. 
I'll say one other thing, and you can cut this out too. There's a. I will. Uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> a. Over time. You used your two tokens. I did. <laughs> I did. There's a Netflix special called Catla. That's, that was like a six or seven part series that was about the volcano that blew that stopped all the air traffic around 2010 to 2011. Did you guys, you guys remember that? Yeah. I remember it was that. like shut it down for two or three weeks. Anyway, they made this kind of sci fi sort of craziness thing that's pretty cool when you watch it, but it's set in Iceland and it's set in that town. And the volcano wiped out every building in town except for the church. And that church is still there. And they took us there on the tour and I took pictures no of the way. church and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, it was very But then cool they turned be- this into a sci-fi show? Yeah. And it's funny because you, when you when you see it, you see the ash on the ground. It looks, you know, exactly like it looked during the volcano. So it's it's crazy to me to, to think about how did they film it? Did they do it right after the volcano, after it was all burned? I mean, did they run a crew out there? The other thing that's wild about Iceland is at dusk, it's like the golden moment for a filmographer that there's a certain color that's outside the magic hour the magic hour exactly <laughs> yeah. the magic hour where you film and so Iceland's a really popular place to shoot movies i guess that was one of the reasons why maybe they decided to do it there because they can shoot for many hours during the day and just have the perfect lighting but mm. anyway awesome very cool well, that's it all for right, our well, all time we have for banter. Yeah. <laughs> you guys didn't have anything interesting i was wondering if somebody was gonna beat me to that joke oh, too so. that was perfect <laughs> i love you guys <laughs> Sorry, I was enthusiastic. Holy cow, today. Bill. <laughs> I'd go on and on. You want to know some more? Jason. Uh, are, we at, are we at 40 minutes now? Four, 14. <laughs> what's, up, what's up with you, Jason? What is up with me? Not a ton. Uh, we did Thanksgiving. I've probably talked about this on the show, but we tend to have a pretty big crowd for Thanksgiving. It was actually a bit smaller this year than it has been in the past. Some people dropped out. Yeah, we didn't towards- come this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody from the Alley family showed up. Nope. It's first one in the new house. So that was that was mm-hmm. a good experience. Didn't have to rearrange every single piece of furniture in the downstairs of our house to fit everybody in. So it's and, good. And all the appliances worked in the kitchen. All the appliances worked in the kitchen. That's so that's that was a good that was a good <laughs> time. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, outside of that, work's been busy. Just life, normal life stuff. Getting ready for the holidays. No big updates for me. I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, unlike it. unlike the previous. <laughs> you you yielded your time to build. <laughs> you yielded your time to build. So yeah. much quality stuff. That was pathetic. Your, t- your time to, <laughs> to the gentleman. I Come mean, on, Chris, I, have, I have some game stuff I could talk about. I don't know how how much we want to go into that. I've been okay. So it's I've been playing. Game, I've been playing one game. Come on, bring it. Yeah. Katana Zero. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I place a, a disclaimer on this game. <laughs> And I don't know if you've played any more of it or watched your son play it, but no. See, I haven't played it. There, there's some, but my ten year old has been playing it quite there, regularly. There's some strong content in this game <laughs> for like a 16 bit game. There, there's, and I don't know. I don't play like the Grand Theft Zero or Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. Grand Theft Zero, Grand Theft Auto games. <laughs> I'm thinking Katana Zero or like any of that kind of Surely stuff where it's, it's not like, on that where level. it's all about drugs and sex and all that stuff. But there's definitely content in here. Like oh they're, my. they're like doing lines of cocaine off of. Off of like stuff in in sixteen bit form, right? What and a, and a lot of language and stuff. Oh so, my gosh! Okay, but outside of that, we won't tell my wife. I, I had no idea. It's also very violent. But the premise of the game is that well, actually, I haven't finished it yet, so I'm not entirely sure what the premise of the game totally is yet. But you are basically this character who is kind of like a ninja a little bit, but you have the ability to slow down time, mm-hmm. like in so bullet time. It's kind of like Matrix bullet time. But you keep getting thrown into these situations where you just get a dossier that's like, this person needs to die. And then you are like thrown into this building 
and you just start killing people and you go through and you kill the person at the end. But what's really fascinating about it is that you don't really know if the instructions you're being given are reliable <laughs> because each time you go back out of this like drug haze to this therapy. <laughs> To the, well, no, like an injection, not not like oh, okay. not like not lines of code, not illicit drugs. Oh, kill somebody like, and then come back home and do a bunch of heroin. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But you end up like in this therapist's office, and he's talking to you, and then he gives you an injection, and then it goes back to the next thing, and you're always like, "Wait a second, like what just happened?" <laughs> right. And the, the way the dialogue is filtered through, it leaves you in this state of like you don't really know what's happening or who you can trust or what narrators that are speaking to you you can trust, and even like, some of the people you're sent out to kill will talk to you and you're like, should I actually be killing this person? I don't really know. And you have the option. I don't know. It gives you a lot of really interesting choices to make throughout. And so it's pretty fascinating from a story perspective, how they pieced it all together. And I haven't finished it, so I don't really know how it ends yet, but pretty fascinated by the storytelling aspect of it. So it's going to judge your morality at the very end. As far as like- <laughs> well, it does sort of like that's, that's what's interesting about it is it's like giving you this choice between good and evil but you don't really know which side is good and which side is evil. <laughs> and so you're like trying to parse all this stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool. And I will say that's another Devolver game. Yes. So another hit from, from yeah. the Devolver Studios. I know I've mentioned them in the past. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So my, my banter has now extended to its limit. So I'm, I'm good. Cameron, what have you been up to lately, man? Um, Besides yeah. baby time. Yeah. Yeah. Baby time is great. Enjoying being a dad. So all this year, I think if, if there's anyone out there that's new to the show, uh, I quit my software engineering job back in February and all year I've been basically transitioning my career over to being a full-time woodworker and Sturdy bones. I make custom furniture, I make made to order type furniture, and I've just been basically just trying to figure this whole thing out all year. And some things have been going well, some things have been a bit of a struggle. But the other thing that I've been working on as part of this is basically making videos in hopes of starting a YouTube channel. And I actually came up with basically five videos throughout the course of this year and actually launched my channel back on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. So I had five videos and it's uh, it's been a wild ride because one of my videos got picked up and has been really, really, really successful. So it's currently got 24,936 views. As we stand right now, I have 952 subscribers. Nice. So that's pretty wild. And and the reason that that number is significant, I mean, obviously it's like nearly a thousand and that's cool, but a thousand subscribers is actually one of the criteria for getting monetized on YouTube, which is an important part of what I'm trying to do with my business because right. I don't make a lot of money right now. So, so I'm like hoping to kind of like be able to push into a space where I can start. So if there are eight more people out there, what is it? <laughs> no, no, no it's 952. So okay, yeah, yeah, 48. 48 more people out there <laughs> yeah. who like woodworking. Well, they, I'm getting, they're coming very quickly. So probably by the time we even publish this, I'll have met that criteria. So that's been really, really exciting to start to see some of the fruit of a lot of my effort. Mm-hmm. Um, What's really cool is I, I joined this course for learning how to do YouTube from some people that I really respect in the woodworking YouTube community that I've been like basically learning how to do woodworking from for the past couple of years. And the course comes along with this Discord community and it's like all the other people out there that are basically trying to do what I'm doing right now. And that has really shown me the value of Discord because, yeah. because it's like 
you're able to bounce ideas off of each other. You're able to encourage each other and review each other's stuff and give each other valuable feedback just as a YouTube consumer. It's just been mind blowing to be a part of this course and this community and kind of break in mm -hmm. and have all these for really like there's a lot of sort of what I would call big name people from the community in the course who have like hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They're all giving me digital high fives and pat nice. patting me on the back for the success that this one video is having. And <clears throat> the video is also an entry to a, a contest. And I have people in the comments being like, you should win the contest and all that stuff. So it's just been really validating, I guess. That's awesome. Um, so kind of a, nice. kind of a, a, a week of big wins from my work front. Maybe one day Tom Vassell will give us a digital high five. That'd be cool. Yeah. <laughs> really? Probably not. <laughs> not not that not after the way you reviewed his reviews. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, between your ultra successful board game podcast and this, you're like a full time influencer. Now. <laughs> Hardly. That's awesome. So, man. Yeah, Congrats yeah. on your recent success, man. Thanks. It is. That's that's super fast i mean yeah I like, that's crazy that I, I expected it to be just crickets for like at least two weeks yeah and it just hasn't gone that way it's gone way better so nice. exciting okay, we're done with banter now right what no <laughs> chris chris has two to three things chris has, chris has seven games to talk about <laughs> i always book. cap it at two and i have two i'm gonna talk about them pretty fast one game one book all right so the game is a shmup called Ikaruga. Have you heard of this one? I have. Okay, yeah. So shmups, if you don't know, I've talked about them on the show before, are shoot 'em ups which are games like R-Type, where you're usually like a ship, and you're navigating this bullet hell screen where there's just bullets flying all over the place, and you're just trying not to blow Ikaruga up. is like the epitome of that, Oh, isn't it? boy. Yeah, okay. So I don't consider myself an expert in this genre at all. They fascinate me, but they're known for being incredibly difficult, and this one is high on the difficulty scale, okay? So the idea behind Ikaruga is your ship has polarity, okay? So on the fly, you can change the polarity of your ship to white or black, okay? On the fly, you can flip back and forth, white, black, white, black. Within the field, on the screen, there are white enemies and black enemies that shoot white bullets and black bullets, respectively, okay? So if you are getting shot at by white bullets and your polarity of your ship is white, they do not damage you. Whoa. In fact, they boost you. Whoa. And so as the bullets are coming in, if you're fast enough and you can flip between polarity, you can avoid being blown up by just changing to the polarity of the bullet that is coming at you. But there are bullets them. everywhere and they're flying really fast. Wow. Okay. Not to mention there's all these environmental hazards on the boards like lasers and stuff <laughs> like that. That don't, just don't go away. You have uh -huh. to pass through oh, them okay. in the correct polarity. And on top of that, <laughs> this is where it really gets tricky. If you're shooting at a white enemy and your white polarity, you can blow it up, but it's very slow. Mm -hmm. But the white enemies are shooting the white bullets, and so you want to be white. Okay? But if you're opposite polarity of an enemy, you blow them up really fast. But okay. you're more at risk yeah. of exploding. Right. right. So there's like all so these like time switching fire, a couple of black bullets exactly flip back to white. Wow. It is <clears throat> an unreal test of hand eye coordination. I mean, it's just next level. Wow. Honestly, <laughs> you probably be thinking it just sounds too hard. And it is very hard. When I cleared the game the first time I died like 60 something times, but you can go all the way through it because the game will actually live. You have infinite continues, which I recommend. It doesn't on make your you first... put in quarters. <laughs> no, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> yeah. It, it lets you finish the game. 
and it feels a little cheap, but you never make it otherwise. Mm. Part of the fun of the game is doing a run and then running again and trying to improve, basically. Okay. Okay. Hmm. It's fun. I recommend it. It's not for the faint of heart. On the Switch? On the Switch, yeah. Nice. It might be multi-platform, but you can definitely get it on a Switch. Nice. Give it a go. It's an old game. It's been around for a long time, right? Yeah. And then last one, got a graphic novel to talk about. So this was one of my non-hero graphic novels. I actually brought out to show you guys right here. A little show and tell with the guys. Looks nice. Yeah, it looks really nice. This is Golden Boy, Beethoven's Youth. So this is, (laughs) yeah. No, that sounds ridiculous. It does. (laughs) <laughs> but it is actually a graphic novel that's fairly accurate. I mean, there's a lot of liberties I'm sure they took with the story, but it's based upon actual life events of Beethoven between like the years of seven, 18, I guess. Okay. okay? Wow. So it basically describes his struggles growing up in like the 1700s in Europe with poverty, mm. disease. He actually has a lot of medical conditions, which are actually Wikipedia. This is legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including hearing issues. Right. That he was dealing with as a youth, learning how to deal with being a child prodigy. And then the thing that's most interesting is the reason it's called Golden Boy is that's what his father calls him in the graphic novel because his father's an alcoholic and he saw Beethoven as kind of like a golden ticket. Like he's my way Uh, out of poverty. hmm. So he doesn't really see him as like my son that I love and I'm proud of is more of like a. This is the kid that's going to, I'm going to use you yeah. to get out of my bad circumstances wow. and right. require more alcohol, basically. Okay. So it's a really powerful read, actually. I enjoyed it thoroughly. But despite all that kind of like heavy material, there's a lot of levity interjected cool. into it. There's a lot of funny parts that just made it like a good read. So nice. I would recommend it. I Golden to, Boy. Return Ninja Turtles and get that one. Oh, that's right. You got to finish yeah, last road. I it. saw that at Target the other day for like 30% <laughs> off. It was like, Thirteen dollars. I, I should picked it up. Picked it up, but then I knew that you had it, so I was like, <laughs> I don't have me. to. That's all right. <laughs> and camera finishes it. Well, maybe I'll borrow, maybe get, I'll borrow that one. Yeah, this is a good I get one. Time to read again. <laughs> Guys in picture books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. We're winning you over. Or I'm winning right. you over. <laughs> you know it. Okay. All right. Well. So do we, Chris? Do, talk are you going to say stuff? something? Yeah. <clears throat> say something about the spiel. Well, do you want me to? Go over our cocktail real quick. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll talk about the spiel. So real quickly tonight, this was a fun one. So Talia made this cocktail for us for Thanksgiving. And I was like, this would be a good one to use for the show. We're past Thanksgiving now, but I think it's close enough. This is called a Fireside Cranberry Cider Margarita. Um, Did y'all get that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I can kind of feel kinda, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of feel that. Okay, so the way that you make this is... You're going to have a gingered rim. So this is really important. Mm. So you're going to make like a sugary rim to go around the rim of the glass. Tablespoon of sugar, tablespoon of brown sugar, candied ginger, and cinnamon. Okay, that's Mm. what you put around the edge. And then the drink itself, two ounces of tequila, half an ounce of orange liqueur, two ounces of apple cider, two ounces of cranberry juice, tablespoon of orange juice, tablespoon of lime juice. Mix all that, and then you top it with ginger beer. Nice. It's a lot going on. It's a lot yeah, going on. This is probably why it's way better than usual. <laughs> <laughs> when my wife makes a drink, it's usually more elaborate and involved and takes more patience than I'm usually willing no, to not do. Not just three ingredients. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we'll segue. So we're doing again another episode on the Spiel Losers. So what we're going to do here is we're going to review three of those games this episode. Then make sure you don't turn off once we go through our last review. We're going to rank the games. 
tell them why we put them in the ranking that we did. We'll say a little bit about them at the very end. Okay. So for this year, there were 10 games that were recommended or nominated for the spiel. Again, this is in 2012. So there was Dirty Pig, which is kind of like a really quick playing card game. Kind of take that style card mm-hmm. game. Indigo, which we reviewed on episode 40. If you want to learn about that game, that's Reiner Knizzi. It's kind of like Suro, where you're laying tiles yeah. and moving jewels, trying to get them to pass through a goal with that tools. you share with an opponent. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's tricky. Kali Mambo, which we reviewed in episode 55, which is a lot like the game Get Bit, where you're playing cars, not trying to land on certain spaces. Avoid the poop. Avoid the poop piles. (laughs) Or getting rammed by the rhino. Galami, we're reviewing tonight. Miss Lupin, we're reviewing tonight. Pictomania was nominated this year. A lot of people probably know this game. This game is just outside the top 1,000 on BGG. This is a Vlada Cavado game where you are drawing pictures trying to get your opponents to guess your pictures but while you are drawing everyone else is drawing mm-hmm. and you're trying to guess what they're drawing while you are also drawing your own thing the real time it's a real time drawing game next santa cruz we reviewed that in episode 54 that's a marcel andre Casasola merkel game where you're playing cards to place pieces on the board but you also are trying to decide when you're playing those scoring cards score objectives rather than placing the board again episode 54 if you want to know our thoughts on that rapa nui we reviewed in episode 46 the main thing in this game is this weird auction where you have these cards but in order to make them valuable you have to sacrifice them to this central pile but the more you sacrifice the more valuable it become but then you have less in your hand when you do that so there's like a push pull there las vegas by rudiger dorn most people know this game it's very popular Dice rolling area control Mm. where you're rolling dice and putting like dice on casinos to try to win money. Essel's Bruca. We reviewed this one in episode 48. (laughs) It's the mnemonic game where you're trying to come up with all these crazy fun stories to help your donkey bridge. Donkey bridge where you're trying to get people to remember certain tiles, basically. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through really crazy storytelling. Elon Musk and the dinosaur. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You still remember. stories, yeah. And then lastly, Kingdom Builder by Donald X. Vaccarino, the winner of 2012, where you are placing settlements out onto a board of different terrain types. We'll be reviewing that tonight also. There we go. Is that 11 games? Maybe that's 11. (laughs) I forget that Kingdom Builder, I forget the winner, but yes. We're we're reviewing a winner, Chris? Do we need to explain that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's go ahead and do that real quick. (laughs) If you've listened to our backstage podcast at all, you know we're kind of tinkering and toying around with new ideas for the podcast. And one of them is to occasionally review games that aren't necessarily, you know, bad, (laughs) not bad. (laughs) We're trying to review games that are maybe inside the top 1000 or that are more new, that are more hotness on occasion. This is certainly not new, but kingdom builder is definitely in the top 1000. And so we decided to review it because the game we were going to review dirty pig Spoilers. We can say it wasn't, it wasn't great. It's just so bad. Universally <laughs> rejected by the four of us. Yeah, we didn't want to review a game that we just all doo dooed on, and people were like, "Ah, oh, it was a waste of fifteen minutes." So we decided to do Kingdom. We Builder didn't even instead. really want to finish the game that we were playing. If it's that bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the idea. Okay, cool. Let's get into the games. Make your marbles rule. Kulami is a fun tactile game of strategy for two players. 
17 wooden tiles are arranged to form an ever-changing board on which opponents compete to capture the largest number of tiles. Players take turns placing marbles so that each new marble must be placed horizontally or vertically in relation to the last marble played. By placing their marbles cleverly, players can limit their adversary's possible moves and gain the advantage to clinch the victory. I think you just did Chris's job for it. <laughs> <laughs> exciting. Yeah. That was exciting flavor Very text. Very <laughs> descriptive flavor text. Yeah, these, uh, these spill games struggle with the flavor text. <laughs> you did well, though. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right, Kulami, published in 2011. Is that a real word in some language? Does it mean something? I have no idea. I think it's just some made-up abstract strategy Do word like Zerts or Ginch, Devon. <laughs> you looking it up? No, yeah, I'm looking it up. No, I'm checking okay. my YouTube stats. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as we said that, you grabbed your phone and started the timer. I was like, Actually, oh, he's like looking it up on uh, I'm looking it up. Google. <clears throat> I'm going to take a screenshot when it hits 1,000 subs. <laughs> Kulami, published in 2011 by Foxmind. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 3,543. Designer of this game is Andreas Kunikath. This guy has designed lots of really small wooden abstract games that look a lot like this one. <laughs> but this is by far his most popular design. The other ones are like in the 10,000s. Okay. Kind of obscure. I'd never heard of any of them. Maybe it was his goal. <laughs> He's like the guy that's writing and he keeps crumpling up the piece of paper and like all those other games <laughs> no, are the crumpled Trump. up pieces of paper and he like finally nailed it. He got it one. right this time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Brief rule summary for Kalami. Kalami is an abstract strategy game where the players are fighting for majorities on wooden boards via the placement of marbles. The game board in Kalami is made up of a haphazard arrangement of small wooden boards, with each board having two, four, or six depressions or pits on it. You've got a two-by-one board. That's the smallest board. Then there's a two-by-two that looks like a square. Mm -hmm. Then there's a two-by-three that's like a rectangle. And again, that two-by-three, that's the number of pits or indentations on the board. You're going to take those wooden boards... You're going to just randomly arrange them mm-hmm. in this grid upon which you're going to place your marbles and yeah. play the game. There's a one by three too, right? Oh, and a one by three. Yeah. You're right. And a one by three. After the board is set up, each player will receive a set of either black or red marbles. The starting player will take one of their marbles and place it into any depression anywhere on the game board. Now, the other player will take a marble and place, but they have to follow these rules. First, the marble can only be placed in a depression that is horizontal or vertically located from their opponent's last place marble, and the marble cannot be placed in a depression that is present on the same board as their opponent's just placed marble. So if Jason placed a marble on a 2x2 board, my marble couldn't go on that same 2x2 board. I would have to go out horizontally or vertically as far as I want to go in any direction onto another board, okay? but not one that Jason just placed on. After placement, the turn now rotates back to the starting player. Again, this player must place their marble in an open depression that is somewhere in the horizontal or vertical lines from their opponent's last placed marble. And again, it can't be on the same board as the opponent's last placed marble. But now there's one additional rule in place that each player must follow for the rest of the game. Namely, they cannot place a marble in a depression on the same board where they placed last turn. So basically, you can't go back to the board where you placed your last marble either. Okay? And that's all the rules. At that point, you'll just continue using that rule set until the game ends. Play will continue until either the players run out of marbles or, more likely, a player can't make a legal move 
Once this happens, the players will calculate their scores. For each board that a player holds a majority of marbles on that board, they will score a number of points equal to the number of pits or depressions present on the board. So some examples. So let's say that on a two by two, I have three marbles on it and Jason has one. I'll score four points, not three points. It's not the number of marbles I had on it. It's the number of depressions on the board you that I had the, the majority board. on. If I have two and Jason has two on a, on a two by two, nobody scores that board. If I have one marble and Jason has none, I will score four points on a two by two board. Cause again, I have the majority, even though it's just one marble. Right. Okay. Additionally, each player will count up the number of marbles in their largest connected blob of orthogonally adjacent marbles. The players will take the difference between these two totals with the player having the largest blob, adding this difference in points to their final score. Most points wins the game. That's pretty much how you play Kalami. So I have an update. So I was Googling. I don't know if this is legit or you not. You weren't listening to my rule summary? No, I wasn't. <laughs> but I was Googling and apparently Kula or Kulami is some inflection or grammatical variant of the word Kula in Polish, which means ball. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, if you, if you are in our audience and you're familiar with Polish or you are Polish, mm-hmm. yeah, let us know. Please, yeah, leave, leave a comment. Yeah. Chime in on the Discord. Didn't cool you. Discord. <laughs> I spent two months, three different times in Poland. I knew, knew Polish, some level of Polish, like how to order food. And I, the third time there, I, I learned a fair amount of Polish. I've forgotten it all. Do not know that <laughs> one. But wow. Anyway. Where have you not been, Bill? What backstage? We're just going to have to talk about all your world travels. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. All right. So. It's a pretty straightforward game. It's an abstract, right? Not a lot to it, as an abstract should be. Should have a pretty simple rule set. But I do think one of the things that's most interesting about this game and is a good place to start is to talk about how the scoring works. Again, the main thing that you're really considering in scoring is these board majorities, right? You want to have a large number of board majorities, especially with those bigger boards, right? Because they're worth more points. But in your placement of marbles and trying to accomplish that goal, you also have to consider this one additional wrinkle of connectedness mm-hmm. being next to yourself as much as you can be to make this big connected blob of marbles to try to get that additional point score for the difference. Again, it's not a huge number of points, but it could matter. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. Exactly. So how'd you feel about these two different parameters and balancing them and how it added to the game? Hey, I'll jump in. So I was really impressed by the scoring of the glob points because there's kind of an attention component in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Where your moves are somewhat limited, not incredibly limited, but there's some restrictions on what you can do and where you can go. And so what I experienced is getting focused on getting majorities on the boards and didn't focus nearly as much on, I was playing Chris, how to break up your blob, mm-hmm. right? Like how to- Or protecting make, your blob from getting exactly. broken. Yeah. There are times when you're like, I need to put one here, not because I'm going to win the majority on that tile maybe, but because- it will connect yeah. disparate parts of my I've got this my, big group and this blob, big group, right. and if I can connect them, I'll have like a super group. Right. Right. Or if right. you're like, oh, Chris is going to connect those. He really wants to go there, and even though it's not going to make a difference for me to win the tile, I might need a place there to prevent him from connecting his blobs. Jason and I played a, uh, a couple games. In the first game, I forgot that the blob thing was a rule, so I was concentrating totally <laughs> on uh, the tile. for me. <laughs> yeah, it worked out well for Jason in that line. But well, I thought after we, we scored it, it ended up being closer than we thought it did at the end. But the second game, 
I concentrated a lot on the blob and a lot on cutting up Jason. And you say it doesn't mean that many points, but I want to say that I had like, I don't know, 14 and you had six or something like that. It's a lot. And yet yet we tied. Exactly. And yet we tied, which is kind of funny because it's a sacrifice. Like Cameron was saying, it's a sacrifice when you're not paying close attention to those blocks. So Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting, interesting trade-off. Yeah, I think it's a good tension all around when you're trying to make a move of like, well, do I try to jump on big tiles because they're worth a lot, but they're harder to actually get the majority on? Do I go for the small ones that are easy to get, but are worth less points? Do I go after the majorities or do I go after like trying to block my opponent from getting their majorities, right? Offense, defense. And then of course, what we've been talking about, which is grabbing that good spot to get a majority versus keeping your blob intact or defending against somebody else's blob. So I thought that part was interesting in terms of decision space and trying to consider those different options. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said, and I honestly don't have a whole lot more to add in that point. I'm going to, I think, segue into another point that's related. I think in trying to make everything you all just said happen, there is some control there, I think, especially as the game progresses. I think one of the things that's really interesting about this game is when the game begins, it starts really tactical, right? There's not a lot of marbles on the board there's a lot of open space there's a lot of different ways you can go you can't really force your opponent to do something right when there's just so much open space you're just trying to make like sensical moves and establish those blobs or whatever or those majorities but as the game advances and more spots get taken up one of the things i really liked about this game is you could begin to see steps ahead Mm -hmm. into the future like if i go this way then my opponent only has a choice between these three or four different places. Mm -hmm. So then he'll go there and then I can go here and then I'll go here and you can start to see almost like forced moves in a way. Mm -hmm. Or if you're like, Oh, well, if I go that way, then he's going to jump over here, which will make me go here and then I'll be bad for me. And so you can begin to kind of see more deterministic play Mm -hmm. as the game advances. And I really enjoyed that part of it, plotting out the moves and seeing those forced move opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say this This game at the beginning gave me a little bit of Korgul vibes. So anybody who's listened to the podcast a couple episodes, we did Korgul, yeah. Tor- Torgas? Torgas Korgul. Torgas yeah. Korgul, which felt like at the beginning it was just like, I'm just making moves to make right. moves, right? I don't know if that's a plus or a minus. I, I think I would tend to think of it as a minus in this game in that like your first, I don't know, five to ten moves are probably more or less... Like, I'm just going to do stuff until the board clogs up a little bit and you can actually start to strategize. Maybe that's just me not being strategic or thinking far enough ahead, but it felt like the first couple moves are just like, I'm just going to make moves until things start to formulate on the board and I can actually make informed decisions about stuff. What did you guys think about that? I don't know. To me, I mean, you can kind of decide, am I going to go after the big blocks? I'm going to go after the little blocks? Mm-hmm. I mean, am I going to go somewhere where I don't think he's going to get back to? I don't know. I mean, I think there's yeah. there's a little bit, there's a strategy you can try at the beginning, I guess. But I, I'm, I'm with you, Chris, as far as the feeling at the beginning, it's opportunistic, right? Yes. Where did my opponent put me? So let me see what's my most opportunistic move, my next move for the next one. As you get down to like the last five uh, marbles, six marbles or something like that, yeah. it does become very deterministic. And you can force moves and you can yes. you can actually game it out, which I, I really did enjoy that part of the game. I think Jason got mad at me because I was taking a lot longer because there's like a, <laughs> there's a lot of math. There's a lot of math there, but I've loved that part of the game. Yeah, I agree. I played this game actually several times with Knox. I've played this game a lot, actually. 
recently. And the more you play it, the more you begin to appreciate the subtlety of the decisions in the first few moves. I do think there are uh, some things to think about there, but also as the game advances again is where it really gets meaty. And the more I played it, the more the decision space opened up for me. For example, I had mentioned in the rules summary, you can win a majority with just one marble. And so as the game advances and it gets close to ending, you begin to see that two by two that you just have your one marble on it and you start making moves to protect that, right? Mm -hmm. How can I move in such a way to where he can't tie me there or he can't tie me here? Or how do I stay away from that? One marble will Mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to think about playing an avoidance thing of like, well, if I place up here, then there's no way he can place down there and tie me there, right? Right. Just lots of things to think about there. I agree. In terms of like my perspective on the openness at the beginning of the game, I found myself really trying to be the first one to jump on a six here. And uh, yeah, and it's a lead. A lead is a lead, right? On any of those tiles. And so, because then your opponent like is feeling like they need to figure out how to jump on there. Exactly. They're playing defensively, right? Exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. Does anybody have anything negative? They want to, they want to say, I think my only suspicion, and maybe this was just because it just so happened to, to happen in the games that I played was the first game. The score difference was one point. Yeah. Despite the fact that bill forgot about the blob scoring. (laughs) So I I had like a massive blob scoring and didn't think I was doing terribly on tile scoring either, but the score came out to one point difference. Mm -hmm. And the second game we played, bill was doing blob stuff and actually beat me in blob stuff. And we tied. So I don't know. That felt a little weird. I know that wasn't your experience playing against Cameron. Um, but, uh, in, you know, I'm also not as smart as oh Chris. My gosh, stop. So. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I'm just saying, I, I think, I think that, that, that fear might be a little offset by the fact that like you guys are, I think pretty evenly matched in terms of your capacity at abstract games. And I, I think what I want to make sure that we avoid is the assumption that everybody that comes to a game like this might essentially be playing optimally uh, well, I don't think I'm playing optimally. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I forgot half the rules. I was not playing. Optimally. And that's not really what I mean. What I mean is Bill's a good gamer. And so even if he forgets that like half of the game <laughs> scoring rules exist, he's probably going to do a really, really good job on the rules that he you know was aware of. And so I think maybe that could account for why he crushed it when it came to the tile scoring points even though he completely neglected the other, the other right. scoring, right? Mm-hmm. He was completely yeah. focused on the one scoring mechanism he was aware of. Mm-hmm. And that obviously doesn't carry through like most games. Like most games, <laughs> if you forget a scoring mechanism and you pay yeah, no attention done. to it, you're going to lose real bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily a con, but it was, it was something that stood out to me as a bit strange. So okay. but I'm glad that that wasn't the experience of everybody. All right. I think we can, Moving now. You want to start us, Bill? Oh, sure. Sure. I'll say, I mean, I like this game. I like the overall strategy, the puzzle nature of it. Having the longest chain and thinking about how to cut somebody else off while I'm building mine, I, I thought was pretty cool, especially mm-hmm. in in contrasting the fact that you might be giving up a six-point tile right. by, by you know, making a certain move. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about was I thought this game had a good length. For an mm. abstract game, you're not yeah. like looking at the game for two hours kind of thing. And my last thing I'll say is, to me, the game really shines in your last few moves because yeah. that's, that's when the, the strategy really kind of rises to the top. Anyway, with all that said, I'm, I'm going to give it a four. I, I like it. I'd, I'd like to own it. So I may, may look for it. Nice. Cool. 
All right. Yeah. My thoughts on this game. I, we've done a lot of abstracts at, at this point and, mm-hmm. and I often don't know how to approach scoring them because you know, we joke about like, like how much do you factor in your performance and to how much you like the game. And so I definitely couldn't give this game high marks based on my performance <laughs> in the game. <laughs> However, I think one of the other good benchmarks that we use a lot of times is how did it make me feel when the game was over? Yeah. Like, did it make me feel like I wanted to rack it back up and play it again? And I did have that feeling with this one. And you know, the other one we go off of is like, would I want to own it? Right. Could I see myself enjoying this as a part of my collection? And I'm not totally sure because my criteria for owning it is, do I think I would actually play it fairly frequently? So I, I will say I did want to explore it more. I did want to try it again, see if I could, you know, kind of iron out some of the tactics that we were talking about and maybe, you know, do better next time or whatever. It's a simple enough game. It's it's small. It's not going to take up mm-hmm. a bunch of shelf space. So, yeah, I mean, I probably would not mind having it, especially when you find yourself in that situation where, like, you know, it's just, you know, my wife and I or whatever. She's a pretty good abstract game yeah. gamer herself. You should borrow this one. So I, I, yeah. I think, yeah, I think I, I think it would be kind of one of those like worth owning type games for me. And for me, that's a four. Yeah. Right. That, that That's solid four criteria for me. So, yeah. Nice. And you can make it. <laughs> Oh, God. I have no time to make this game. If you're out there, don't even ask me in the Discord. Not gonna make is, that, is that our Christmas gift this year? Yeah. When, when, when my wife lets me buy a CNC machine, then I, I can start making some of these uh, games. Nice. Yeah. Games like Kulumi, Kulami, these little wooden, abstract, simplistic-looking games, I just have a soft spot for these games. I don't know what it is. I just gravitate towards them. For as simple as it is, and there's not a lot to it component-wise, it looks cool on the table, too. We didn't really mention that, but I think it just kind of has a neat look to it. You know what I mean? When it's Mm mid-game, you know, it's just kind of eye-catching. I thought this game was solid. I thought this was a really good game. I enjoyed it. You know, it's interesting. We reviewed Mixtor in our Spiel episode, which it's a different game, but it's that same style. Minimalistic, small, wooden, abstract game. I liked Mixtor. I liked this one better. Really? Yes. Wow. And the reason why I like this one better, Mixtor has... It doesn't break in, your mind. Well, so, yeah. So, <laughs> Mixtor has interesting rules. But the thing about Mixtor was, and I think we talked about this when we reviewed it, is we were struggling figuring out how to set up moves for ourselves. It was more about not making the first mistake. <clears throat> right. Whereas in Kalami, I felt like I could plan things and, like, actually force moves. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Mixtor, I was really more trying to just, like, not screw up. It doesn't mean it's bad. I just preferred this one a little more because it's kind of like my chess mind. I like that scene three moves into the future type of thing. And I felt that in this game. So for me, I thought this was a really good, solid game. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I have it. I'm also giving it a four. I think it's good. Nice. Yeah, I think my thoughts are somewhere of a blend between Cameron and yours, Chris. And probably Bill's too. Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> Not that Bill guy. Nah. Here, like, it's been a while since you talked, Bill. I can't remember what you said. Talks <laughs> but probably yours too. Yeah, I think that for me though, this game, like I'm glad you mentioned uh, Mixtor, Chris. I feel like for me, I mentioned earlier in the review the decision space felt like super open and arbitrary at the beginning. And I think for me, the difference between this game and Mixtor is I feel like from the very first move in Mixtor, you could lose on the first move. Yeah, there's a decision space. Yeah, you're immediately thinking, okay, well my move matters right now, and I can see what's going to happen if I make this move or not. 
Now that has a trade-off, right? Of what you mentioned, you're playing more defensively in mixed tour than you are offensively probably. But I don't know. I like that element in mixed tour where mm-hmm. like from the get go, every move matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that if you were playing optimally and you knew you could like think a bajillion moves ahead, every move matters in Kalami too, right? In a way. But I think those games where it starts with such a wide decision space where it's like you're just making moves until all of a sudden there's this turning point where all of a sudden now you can like make strategic moves and then three moves later the game's over. <laughs> it felt like it, it it's, that doesn't make it a bad game. I think I prefer other abstracts that I've played to this one. Right. So like I fully agree with all your thoughts and I think it's an interesting game. I didn't hate it. I would play it more if somebody wanted to play it. But I don't know this one that I would seek out to try to own. So for me, I think... I was in between the three and the four category, but I think just to kind of offset you guys, I'm going I'm to fall back. <laughs> that, that was my original gut going into it. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. I'm going to stick with it. So, so. I, I know we don't normally do this, but I, I thought of something uh, after I gave my, my final thoughts. Um, so I'm actually going to give it a two. No, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't mention replayability. Uh-huh. The, the fact that when you lay out those tiles, it's different every yes. game, right? You just grab them and clump them together yeah. and... That's a really interesting factor here. It's not just a grid of, you know, whatever it was, yes. 12 by 12, like it is on mixed or I can't, I can't, 10 by 10. It's not just a blob of orthogonal holes. You make a new map every time, basically. Yeah. Like the, the which Catan creates these factor. like little nooks, which can create like these dead ends that will force moves. Right. Right. So it could be more interesting the more times that you play it. Right. It's not going to suffer from that whole thing of, I'm afraid we're going to do the exact same three opening moves every time, right? right? You can't totally. do that in this game. Totally agree. All right. Addendum over. I like it. All right. Can well, we get it. Yeah. Yeah. If this sounded interesting to Where you, can we get it? Where can we get it? <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't come up with a job. That's, 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 yeah, that's your new job. If you're interested in picking this one up, I have good news. There are copies available at Noble Knight. <laughs> awesome. They're having a sale. Another thing we need to jingle for. Yeah, exactly. I'm the Noble Knight. Our sponsors, Noble Knight, they are having a sale right now. They do quite a few sales. But if there's not a sale going on, you can use our discount code 10 off gems, one zero off gems. Put that in the coupon code field. You can get 10% off of your order. There are also three copies on BGG. And this game actually did get a recent reprint in 2019. Um, and so it is a little bit more widely available, like on Amazon and stuff like that. If you want to do that. <laughs> Get it a Noble Knight. A recent reprint in 2019. <laughs> yeah, recent. That's recent, recent for us, Bill. Yeah, that is recent. <laughs> All right, and those are our thoughts on Kalami. Who is Miss Lupin? It is an anagram of plus and minus. Legend has it that Miss Lupin was the high priest of logic and the first woman in the Pythagorean Brotherhood. Under the name of Miss Lupin, a famous Sudoku-like puzzle is published in Germany. The board game's layout is similar, but has a completely different playing mechanism. With both the Miss Lupin puzzle and board game, you will discover the fascination of numbers without mathematical pull-ups. More information is given at (laughs) www.misslupin.de. You need a Lupin's father to read that. <laughs> all, the, all the German folks in our audience are, just want to reach through the, the podcast and slap them. <laughs> and choke them out. It's all another paragraph here. But I'll, I guess yeah, I'll skip that. <laughs> After they drop the if web address in the middle. It was as good as the first paragraph. <laughs> 
Bill was just reprising his role that he played in our Halloween episode. Oh, if you're yeah. a new listener, if you're a new listener and you haven't listened to the mm-hmm. Halloween episode, go back Bill and plays to a it, German I aristocrat. A long time on it. <laughs> I do. Chris Very professionally father. and tastefully. <laughs> <laughs> I practiced weeks on that. You did. Mm. Mm. All little boys deserve a mother. <laughs> Very good, Chris. Yeah. Mm. Oh, man. All right. Miss Lupin und das Geheimnis der Zahlen. Or nice. Miss Lupin and the Secret of Numbers. Nice. Who knew it had a subtitle? Published in 2011 by Winning Moves Germany. Designed by Ralph Peter Gebhardt, this being his only known design, as well as Thomas Singh, who interestingly was the designer of another well-known game that we all love, The Crew. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. This one, however, unlike The Crew, is ranked on BGG currently (laughs) 17,569. Just, just below, uh, just below the crew at like seventeen. <laughs> wow! All right, holy crap! So this game also, like Kulami, has pretty simple rules. It's played on a four by six grid, where the columns and rows are lettered and numbered like a giant Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Each player begins the game with ten square number tiles, numbered zero through nine, and players also receive four goal cards of which they must keep three. These are drawn from a deck of 139 different unique goal cards. Examples of these would be the sum of row one must be less than nine, or A5 plus B5 must equal D5. It's literally like Excel formulas. (laughs) Or C3 must be greater than the four numbers that are orthogonal to it, right? Things like that. Remember, there's 139 of these and they're all unique. Each goal card has a number of points printed on it between one and nine, depending on the difficulty level of that goal. On a turn, a player places one of their number tiles anywhere on the board that does not already have a tile. That's it. Once the board is completely filled in with numbers, the round ends and players score for their completed tasks and they receive nothing for uncompleted tasks. You play a number of rounds equal to the number of players and the highest score at the end wins. Done. All right. (laughs) That's it. There are a couple variants in the rules, yeah. but I'm not going to go over theirs right now. Come on, we got we got to keep the tradition alive, and that's essentially <laughs> and how that you is play. generally how you play <laughs> Miss Lupin and the Secret of Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so, for questions for this to kick us off, I guess really the main thing to talk about here is these goal cards. Yeah. Right? Okay. There is a pretty wide range of numerical values to these goal cards. So how did you guys feel about that in terms of balance? How did you feel about the actual difficulty of some of these tasks? Like what, what did you think about it? Yeah. So there are a lot of these objective cards. Yeah. I think there are over a hundred. We said there's 139. 139. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. Chris wasn't paying attention. Either. Sorry about I that. said it twice, Chris. <laughs> oh my gosh. Was, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Zoned out. Yeah. So there are a lot of them and I will give the game credit whether they're balanced or not them just being varied and interesting mm-hmm. like some are as simple as you know as jason was saying c3 minus d2 has to equal a whatever right but some of them are like the numbers in a2 and a3 have to make a prime number when they're <laughs> laying next to each other yeah. or all these numbers in this diagonal need to be the same or something like mm-hmm. that they're, it's just all over the place yeah. right for better or for worse, how you feel about how that makes the game random or controllable, at least they're interesting, you know, mm-hmm. to kind of thumb mm-hmm. through them and be like, okay, 
which ones of these do I think I can realistically do? Which of these maybe even synergize with each other? Like if, if I take these two, I can kind of work on them at the same time. Right. They're also point valued, as Jason said. So the higher they're worth, the harder it is to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So you also have to consider how much risk am I willing to take on? Yeah. Right. I mean, if I can get nine points, that'd be awesome. But the chance of me getting screwed up by somebody is probably high. Maybe yeah. I take the lower value ones. Maybe I know I'm behind and I'm trying to make a comeback. I'll take the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of interesting things going on there, I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, and I, and I think there's that's a lot of the crux of the game is assessing the value that you're going to get for accomplishing it to really how hard it is. When you're given the four and you have to pick the ones that you think you're most likely going to, to achieve, I thought that was a, an interesting decision point. I, some of the ones that I remember having was like the whole entire row had to be less than 20. Right. And so it was interesting to me to see how quickly you abandon something, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because if somebody puts a nine or two nines on there in the first two rounds, yeah. you know, then you just you just pass and hopefully try to screw up somebody else somewhere work else. On right, right, other right. Ones, yeah. I've been reserving my thoughts on this one. <laughs> this, this might be this might be another an, another rant game. <laughs> But I, I want to. I want to leave room. I want to leave room for other good thoughts to come out first. Okay. Well, that's um, why I haven't said anything yet. Because I'm. I wanted to do the same thing. Okay. Well, I, I liked your comments, Chris. I think that they were very. That was a good positive very spin generous. on things. Yeah. And I meant. I meant it. Yeah. No. I, I believe you. I believe you. I, I, if, if I might, can I say another sure. positive yeah, thing? Sure. Yeah. 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 Please. It looks beautiful. <laughs> Did you does. mention that? It's very beigey. <laughs> But um, it looks like a Excel spreadsheet. This I'm channeling my inner Bill here. I wonder if he has a similar thing written down on his paper. This game has is really just kind of all about mitigation, right? There are things that are going to happen in this game that are out of your control. Somebody's going to place in that spot. This is going to screw you up. It's going to happen occasionally in this game. Okay, but I do think before we go there and give the impression that there's nothing to think about here. There are definitely meaningful, intelligent plays to make, right? Sure. And I think you have to gauge which ones you want to kind of get out. I, okay, I'll give you an example, No, Jason, no, I'm with you. Know. I'm with you. So let's say I have the spot on A2 minus B4 has to equal something. To me, if I have a card like that, I'm thinking, okay, I probably need to place on A2 first. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if a zero goes in A2 or a one, it's not happening. Right. right? That has to be a high number, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, okay, I probably should kind of prioritize that. Whereas like two spaces next to each other have to be a prime number. I can wait on that one. In fact, it might actually be preferable to wait on that one and see if somebody places in one of those two if, spots. If you're not already screwed because you don't know any prime numbers higher than like nine. <laughs> <Right. laughs> or your opponents haven't messed it up for you already, which can happen. But let's say Cameron throws a four in A2 and then I'm like, okay, I'll throw a one in A3, right? right? So I'm saying that there are things to think about and intelligent plays to be made to try to increase your chances that you accomplish your goal. Yeah, that was the one thought that I that I had that was like, you know, there is a game here. Mm. Right. And and a lot of it has to do with your order of which you try to tackle your goals. Right. Totally agree. If you if you sit there and you're like, okay, I have a I have an easy card and I have a, a more difficult card and you spend your first couple moves trying to work on the more difficult card probably not going to work out for you, right? Like you may want to go ahead and lock down what you could possibly control with the easy one 
to like get it out of the way rather than trying to make the easy one the cherry on top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I would say I, I don't disagree with you, Chris, despite my grunting and grumbling over here. <laughs> I don't disagree with you that if if there is any game here, that is it. It is which number do I put down first to mitigate getting screwed? And the right? choice of your objective cards. Sure. I mean, you, it's <laughs> you're choosing three out of four. Right? Yeah. But I think if there's even a better way to summarize this game, I think it would be, I mean, it's basically, it's a gambling game. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're, you're getting your goal cards and you're assessing which of these cards do I have the best chance, the best odds, yep. because it's odds. It's sure. not, it's not strategy. It's odds. Like what are, what, which of these cards do I have the best odds of actually being able to complete? Right. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's the game in my opinion. Right. But sure. They, isn't that already sort of determined by this number of points that card is worth? Not sort necessarily. of. Yeah. I mean, it is right. So I guess to the odds are right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the thing about this is that, and I don't, I guess it's, it's probably not all of the goal cards, but you are limited in what you are able to do on the yeah. board by yourself. Yeah. Because you only have one of each number. Basically, I need other players at the table to do a very specific thing. To magically play their right? seven I right need there. I need yeah. three of the same number in a row. I cannot do that on my own. Right. right? The right. only way that can happen is if two other players at the table do that for me. Yeah. And I just so happen, after they've done that, to have that number left in yeah. my hand. Yeah. Right. So don't, you say, okay, well, card. the strategy then is you wait. <laughs> you wait it out. And you you hold on and you wait until and see what happens. Well, you have to place numbers out on the board. Mm-hmm. You have no control over which two numbers are going to be put next to each other, if it even happens at all. Yeah. So at that point, it's like that is a that's a can risk. Limit their spaces they can place to try to hope force them to play somewhere. But you're not controlling what number they play. Yeah, but I mean, they only have so many. Don't try to put play. strategy in this game, Chris. I am no, put, no, no, I strategy am here. Bill, back me up here. I see it on your face. You want to jump in here? That basically, it's a game of waiting and hoping that, that at the at, that it, no, it is at that that at the right moment you still have the right number that you need to put down in the right spot. Sure, there are certain objectives that you can try to do on your own, but even that's a gamble. Right, because if I have a five plus b five equals c five, right, I can try to try to work on that and say, okay, which one of these numbers is the highest priority? Like you said, that's valid. But you don't but need I, to. If if you have a two minus b two equals c two, and you yep. put nine and a two, yep, you can wait for one of those other two to get filled in with sure. whatever. Sure, absolutely. And then you can put the other one in. But there's also three people that go in between you. So you could place an A A two, and then B two and C two sure. get filled in before you even have yeah, a chance sure. to do yeah, anything that could about happen. it. Yeah. Right. So I'm just saying, like your level of control over that is very very limited in this game. Yeah. For things that are outside of your control. Should Let we transition this. to con? Oh wait, we already we're already there. Oh yeah, no, we're there. Bill wants to say that. I want to hear what Bill has. To well, say. so so Jason, let me ask this: if if you if you had two people that played this game a thousand times. Do you think that there could be one person? I pity those people. <laughs> that that could be slightly better than the other person and consistently win more. Yeah, but who is that person, Bill? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. But I mean, theoretically, that person exists. Then that means this implies that there's a strategy that's available out there that you could be better. I mean, I, mean, I will say that of those cards, you get four cards. You keep three of them, mm-hmm. right? So basically, you're getting rid of the worst one. 
Right. And then of the three you have left, I mean, you're going to start out going for all three so, of them. So, so I, why not? Right. But they're going to quickly get narrowed down for you because people are going to screw you out of some of them. And you focus on the ones that are the most beneficial. Sure. Yeah. But I, I, I have know. two points that I want to make. Let's hear it. Yeah. The first one is they need to make a mobile version of this game so that Jason can play it 6,000 times while he's taking a poop. <laughs> <laughs> like Gypsy King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that's, that's a, a good one. That's, that's the first point. <laughs> that's a game so we should be talking mobile about. Mobile app <laughs> necessary. And will Jason download it? Who knows? But maybe if he's really desperate on the on the pot. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And, and two, I feel like on a level, and it sounds like we're all ganging up on Jason right now. I'm trying to defend this game because believe it or not, it's, it's coming. Lord knows don't, why. Don't worry, everyone. <laughs> but but I think I think that there is an aspect here where we're assuming that that the, when the game says draw four cards, keep three, that a proficient player is going to be able to execute, let's say two to three. I do not think that that's the intention. I think that you're meant to get three cards that you think you have a chance of fulfilling. And if you get one, good for you. Mm-hmm. Right? I got all three well, a bunch of times. And I think that also raises an interesting point in that if you were to play this game enough times to where you became pretty knowledgeable of the objective cards, you could play in a very much more blocking fashion, right? I'll use a simple example. So, Bill, you had mentioned the numbers in this column have to exceed this number. Well, if I see that Bill's putting a lot of high numbers in a column, maybe I throw a zero in there because I know he's trying to make that column high, right? So if you can get a sense of what people are trying to accomplish, especially if you have more of a knowledge of the objectives. I think that that's another thing you could think about in yeah. this game. I'm Yeah, I get that. At the same time, there's 139 yeah, objectives yeah, in here, yeah. and they're all slight variations of different Excel formulas. Yeah. Like, there's no way that you can, I mean, But a sure, lot of them are that sure, you can higher guess or lower that. than column stuff. Yeah, there are I mean, a lot of those in You there. can guess that, but I, think I don't that know. Even the vary. rules explanation is like, play your numbers on the board, try to meet your goals unintentionally mess with other people's <laughs> goals, right? Like, it literally says that in the rules. Yeah, I, I like, do think that it's very difficult to guess what in the world your opponents are trying to do. If it were narrowed down to four or five categories, I think you'd have much more of a possibility of picking up on the patterns of your opponents and trying to play in order to mitigate their success. Also, like the ones that are telegraphed? I accidentally knocked out both of y'all's cards in a single move unintentionally oh no yeah bill knocked out two of my cards right. in one move yeah <laughs> right it was not a rewarding experience strategy, strategy you should have placed on that space earlier than jason what were you doing <laughs> yeah, no, no, so but, important but no no but listen so that objective to 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 throw the opposite example out that cameron gave because i agree with him some of them are telegraphed right like i had an objective that was in one row which is four numbers all the numbers need to be sequential Right. Mm. So I had one, three, four, and Bill puts down an eight. Right. Mm-hmm. Which he probably noticed that. What do I do about that? How do I play that differently? You don't. There's no way to play that differently. Yeah. And I had two objectives that were on that. There was like it was like an L shape around the outside of the board. Every seven spaces, all the numbers needed to be unique. And then the top row that was part of that seven. I needed, figured that out needed too, to be <laughs> needed, needed to be sequential numbers, right? And so I had managed to get both of those yeah. down to one space left. <laughs> and I mean, it just happened that in turn order, it needed to get back to me so I could play the number there. Right. And of course, Bill's going to play something there. 
Because at that point in the game, there are only like, like four, four spaces, spaces yeah. left on the board, right? So the odds of it getting back around to me without somebody placing something there that's not what I want, it's like, that's totally out of my control. Uh, and yeah. I get that. There's nothing I can do about that. To be that. fair, we were playing at four players, maybe at three with not so many. It's as best as a zero player game. <laughs> <laughs> with it rotating around just two people before your turn, the likelihood of that happening is less. And this game is probably much better at three than four. I would say that too. I, interesting. I, I get what you're saying. That's interesting. Yeah. All let's right. let's final thoughts this thing. <laughs> Cameron, you're up. Rant over. Let's go. <clears throat> All right. My final thoughts are: I didn't like this game, and I don't want to play it again. Uh, <laughs> I don't really have any creative reasons for that. Mm-hmm. I think we've kind of beat it into the ground. It was not an enjoyable experience. I didn't feel like I had any insight into what you guys were doing and why. And neither did you have a reason why why you weren't able to fulfill your goals. And I wasn't sure why I wasn't able to fulfill my goals. It just happened. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was just tossing cards out there hoping for the best. So, two. Two. All right, I'm just going to come out and say I didn't think this game was that bad, honestly. I enjoyed playing this game, <laughs> to be totally honest. I'm being dead serious. <laughs> this game reminded me a lot, again, of a spiel game that we reviewed. Yay. Do y'all remember Yay? Oh, I hated that one, too. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Y'all do do all over that one, too. I remember Yay, but... That's the one where you may not have played it, Cameron, but you roll dice in a box. You you played that. You're like writing with a pencil on these. On a grid. On a grid. Rolling dice and where the dice land. That's where you have to draw lines. Not a fan. And much like Yay, this game also has random elements that you can't control or account for. But I just found that I enjoyed this game. I I really did. I had fun playing it. I, I like having these like curio games, right? These weird games like Yay that aren't like anything else. That are really bizarre. The game was short. I enjoyed picking my objectives, trying to prioritize what do I need to do first, what do I need to do second, mm-hmm. and then when it wasn't my turn, just thinking, "Oh God, please don't, just don't play something," you know, and just yeah. hoping that it came around, I could do my next thing. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Yeah, but the game is not that long. You know, it didn't bother me. I enjoyed playing this game, honestly. <laughs> I'm keeping it. So really, it. so really, the person that needs the the poop pot mobile game is. Chris. Yes. I would play this on the on the pot. <laughs> I'm giving it a four. Wow. I like it. All right. So before I give my rating, I will say, if I have to say anything about this game, it felt like an educational game. It okay. felt like something yeah. you use yeah. to teach kids math right. and how yeah. to do mathematical formulas. That said, I feel like well-designed games teach critical thinking skills and they do it in a much more creative and better way than this game ever ever would. Ink and Gold is a great game to teach. Oh, yeah. Right. If anything, this is a push-your-luck game. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to take this card, and I'm going to hope hope to God that something happens and that other things don't happen, right? Um, so with that qualifier out of the way, I don't disagree with what y'all are saying, but this game is boring as all get out. Oh, boo. It is the blandest thing I've ever seen. It's a beige spreadsheet with number tiles on it. Right? Dude, it is beautiful. <laughs> At least yay has like your your rolling dice and uses, figuring out where the dice land. I'm, and that's I'm gonna deluxe the box artwork uses the papyrus font. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's it's not a looker. I don't know for all the reasons I mentioned. Like if you take this super lightheartedly. Treated as like a bar game, which yeah. Lord knows who would want to play this game in a bar, and and not something, not something 
much better than this. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I was between a one and a two on this, but I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't this conscientiously. I couldn't give it a one. No, because I didn't think it was broken. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But, get out of here. But I give it a solid two. That's fine. Wow. <laughs> no it. fun, Jason. Over I love it when Jason hates the game, man. It's hilarious. <laughs> this game is crap. Lighten so, up, man. <laughs> seriously. So, so I hope everybody's takeaway is don't invite Jason nor Cameron to your No, your, just your don't game play night. bad games. <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed I'm going to say, do invite Chris. On I'll, come to the bar, I'll come this to the bar quick. with you, but I'm, I'm just going to be drinking. <laughs> um. If you want to drink a lot, play this game. <laughs> I, I will say that this isn't isn't the funnest game I've ever played. I did enjoy taking the German translator and translating the cards and trying to figure out what they said. I mean, I thought that was that was kind of a fun aspect of this game. Um, I I didn't necessarily have the same trouble you had, Jason, with the fact that somebody was going to you know kill the thing that I was going for because it's just the nature of the game right and that's the nature of the game you got lucky <laughs> I did get lucky but there's just there's games that are out there that are like this and I like the fulfilling the, the formula anyway I won't go on and on about it but I'm going to fall in the middle there and give it a three I liked it well enough that I'd play it again and I'm glad you did mention we should mention quickly these 139 objective cards again this is German language only, so if you want to play this game, you will have to use Google Translate on your phone. I don't think anybody's going to want to do 139 paste-ups for Miss Lupin, right? <laughs> Und das Geheimnis <laughs> der Zahlen. But if you hold that objective card up to your phone with Google Translate, it will just translate it for you. And it's playable mm-hmm. in yeah. that way. Yeah. And there's a diagram on the card that kind of shows you in shorthand, like <clears throat> diagram format, what it's trying to tell you, yeah. right? So it's not hard to play. It's not fun. It's kind of fun doing that. Yeah. Okay, okay, yes. Where can we? Where can we? Where can, can we, we find it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> there are no copies on Noble Knight. There are no copies on the BGG Marketplace. Zero. Okay. There's I actually for that. got to know. It can't be found because so many people love this game so <laughs> much. That's right. Nobody wants out. to sell it, right? It's not on BGG Marketplace, <laughs> right? People must like it. I actually found it on BGG looking for people who had in their collection okay. and I just asked them if they wanted to sell it. Oh, wild! Lo and behold, someone, somebody gave it up. Somebody gave it up. What a fool. What a fool. He <laughs> I was. mean, that is, it is wild because this, this was a recommended nominee for the spiel. It was and, indeed. And just back in 2011. Can, can we agree? It's better than 17,000. Jason. Are you, are you willing so, to say that? No. <laughs> <laughs> So that that was only uh what was that 12 years ago? Yeah, not that long ago. <laughs> 2011 being 12 years ago is mind-blowing to me. I know it's wild. Feels like yesterday. So you All just right. can't find it just is that that's what we're yeah. leaving our people with? You can't get it, no. So if you want to find this game, just go on BGG, look in everyone's collection, yeah. one user by user. Got to be committed. Send a message to them being like, hey, do you want to sell this game? I, I heard about with raving reviews on my favorite podcast, Hidden Jim's Board Game Podcast, that uh, this is the way to find this game. You might find if it. If I owned it, you could it. sell it. If, you, if I owned it, I would sell it. All right, that's enough. <laughs> I've had it with your disrespect, Jason. <laughs> We're moving on. Those are our thoughts on Miss Lupin. Oh, good stuff. Oh, man, that was fun. That was great. (laughs) It's a wild world to discover, and you are ready to explore. 
In Kingdom Builder, you lead your people into new territory. And... Who am I kidding? There's <laughs> no flavor text for this game. <laughs> I like uh, it. That's awesome. It's true. There is no flavor it's text wild. from Kingdom Builder. Can you believe that? My mind is blown. I know. A game as thematic Seriously. and beautiful... Theme that, all over this game. Is, is that another German design game? Or is, <laughs> it, is that uh, that's Donald X? Donald X. I see. What is Donald Vaccarino? Vaccarino? Yeah, from Dominion. From Dominion, indeed. Oh, okay. No wonder. I know, right? This game has similarities to Dominion. You think? You can see that? Oh, absolutely. A little bit. We'll talk about that later. Hundred percent. Huh? Okay. Totally that. see that this is the same designer as Dominion. It's 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 generally the same theme. If you think about well, it. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> there's some thematic similarities, but there are some other similarities. We'll talk about I wonder about if it. Donald is one of those guys that has that secret world domination <laughs> thing. Thing going on? Yeah. Like, what are we going to do in this game? I don't know. Try to take over the world. <laughs> you think Donald X Vaccarino thinks about the Roman Empire like twice a week, maybe? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Every 30 seconds. Every 30. My, my wife texted me that. Ask me that. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know it. Okay, I don't need to My wife is on TikTok. Then. I know what I know what <laughs> okay. you're talking about. I wish I had a middle name mysterious enough to include it in my name, but never to say the whole length yeah. of it. What is it? Cameron is T. Lockie. What is the X? Yeah. Xavier, probably. <laughs> All right. Kingdom Builder. Published in 2011 by Queen Games. At the time of this recording, its BGG ranking is 673. Okay. Oh, it's here on Hidden Gems. Oh, my. 17,000 to 673. What a jump. That's the, the kind of diversity you get in this podcast. You know? <laughs> That's right. We're all over the place. Again, as we mentioned, designer Donald X. Vaccarino, designer of Dominion, also Greed, Temporum, and many others. All right. Brief rule summary for Kingdom Builder. In Kingdom Builder, the players are placing small settlements out onto various different landscapes in an attempt to be next to valuable castles and satisfy various different scoring criteria. Each game of Kingdom Builder begins with the random setup of a modular board. The game board is composed of four smaller rectangular boards, with each board having its own unique arrangement of terrain types, castles, and special locations. So let me explain a little bit more detail what I mean by that. So on each of these smaller boards, there are five different terrain types, grasslands, forests, flower fields, crevasse, and deserts that are placeable, so you can place on those. They're small hexes, and they're all connected. So, for example, there might be five forest hexes all connected to each other, and that'll create a forest area where there might be seven flower hexes next to each other, and that's a flower-filled area. Okay. In addition to those hexes, there are also mountains and water on each of these smaller boards, and they are... For all intents and purposes, obstacles. You can't build on them. You can't pass through them. Although there are some tiles that will let you break those rules, but generally they're obstacles. As I mentioned, there are also castles somewhere on these smaller boards. And if you build next to a castle at any point during the game, that will get you three points at the end of the game. And then again, there are special locations. And upon each special location are two cardboard chits. If you build next to one of those special locations, you take one of those chits, which gives you a special action that you can use for the rest of the game. So a player's turn in Kingdom Builder is exceedingly simple. Player is going to draw a single terrain card. 
The type of terrain pictured on this card matches one of the five different terrain types pictured on the board. Again, I just mentioned those. The player will then take three of their settlements and place them on three adjacent unoccupied hexes within this terrain type. Now, I need to discuss a really important rule here, and that's regarding adjacency. So if I draw Flower Field as my terrain card, at the moment that I draw that card, if I look at the board and any of my settlements that are already out on the board are adjacent to open Flower Field hexes, I must place on those. I am forced to do so. However, if my settlements are not adjacent to Flower Fields, then I can place in any Flower Field hex that I want anywhere on the board, and then I start a place in adjacent from there, okay? As mentioned earlier, and this is really, really important, if a player places a settlement next to a special location, you again take a cardboard chit on that location, if any are remaining, and that will give you access to a special mover action for the rest of the game. You can do this special move before you place your three settlements or after your three settlements, okay? And this is important because these tiles kind of let you break rules. So some examples, one would be the paddock. This is one I really like that lets you jump a settlement across an empty hex into another hex. Why does that matter? Well, that jumping might break your adjacency that you don't like when you have to place, or it might put you adjacent to something <coughs> that you want to build on through and continue on, right? The ship will break the rule of letting you pick up a settlement, which could break adjacency, and place in water, which lets you cross water hexes to different areas of the map. All these different special buildings just give you all sorts of different moves that can help you achieve your goals in the game, okay? It should probably be mentioned that you're able to use those moves in addition to placing your three settlements. Right, yep. It's before or after. So, and I'll say this too, let's say I have three of them. I could execute two of them before, then place my three settlements as part of my normal turn, and then use my other one. I could do all three before. I could do all three after. That ordering absolutely matters mm -hmm. and can make the difference between you having a suck turn mm -hmm. or an incredible turn. Right. Okay? Once the player has placed their three settlements and executed their special actions, they discard their terrain card, and then they draw a new one for their next turn. The game ends once the player runs out of settlements, with all players getting an equal number of turns. Players will now score, again, as I mentioned before, three points for every castle that they build a settlement adjacent to, but they will also score points for how well they satisfied the three scoring objectives in play. So I didn't mention this, but during the setup, you'll take a number of scoring cards and you'll randomly draw out three. It'll be a different three every game. And they have all different kinds of scoring parameters, like it might be you get a point for every settlement you build along the edge of the board. You get a point for every settlement you build next to mountains. You get one point for every two settlements in your biggest blob of connected settlements. Or you get one point for every unconnected settlement. So you can see how a lot of these objective cards are kind of at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. Right? They can be on like different ends of the spectrum. And so you will assess how well you achieved each one of those objective cards, scored the corresponding number of points. Most points wins the game. Well done. That's generally how you play Kingdom Builder. Nice. All right. I have so many strong feelings about Kingdom Builder. <laughs> <laughs> so many. I'm so glad we're talking about this game. But one thing I think is a great place to start, and this is the most common thing that I hear about this game, especially from people that don't like Kingdom Builder, 
is the issue with the single card draw. So when you start a game of Kingdom Builder, you draw one card, not two, not three. You don't have a choice, one. And it will tell you what terrain type you were forced to build in on your turn. No choice there. Should I say this? I'm going to say it. A lot of people will say that that is too restrictive and that it can often force you into having a bad game by luck of the draw and things like that. How do you all feel about that? Do you agree with that? Do you think that we should draw two cards and pick which one you get to play? Or do you feel like, you know, that that's a good decision point? What do you think about that single card draw? Yeah. It's an interesting point in this game because based on all the reviews we've done thus far, you would expect me to be in that camp of, <laughs> no, that's too random and you can't control anything. But I disagree with that. I think you can control a lot in this game. And I think that the game is figuring out what to do with the cards that you're given. Mm-hmm. And while you can make that argument for a lot of games that are random, you'd say, well, it's the game is making do with the randomness that you're given, right? Miss Lupin. It's like make do with the goal cards that you're given or make do with like what other people randomly do on the board, right? Those games give you a lack of control. In this game, you're in complete control of what you do. Right. Now, granted. It's completely your fault if you make a bad decision. Right. You're restricted in that you have to build on a specific train type but you have complete control over how you do that and how that affects the remainder of your game. Mm-hmm. And so that is what makes this game interesting. Yeah. Your honor, may I approach the bench? <laughs> yes. Come on, Bill. Bill. Bill can play the role of Jason. <laughs> yeah, man, this game sucks. I can't believe you even just said that. Well, I mean, first day I was introduced to this game in our origins trip, which was really fun. And we got to play it like two or three times, mm-hmm. which I think is the way that you need to play this yeah. game. Because mm-hmm. if you're playing with somebody else who has played this several times before, it just cannot be a fun experience. Absolutely. Because like you're saying, when that's that single tra- card draw you can find yourself painted in the corner on your second turn, and this game lasts a really long time for you to not be having fun because you know you're just watching everybody else pull things in, and it's just not fun. Now, with that said, I know after you played, I don't know, three or four games, I guess, and kind of start getting... Or 200. Or 200. I don't know, at least some level to get an, a, an understanding of how the strategies works and how these things come together. I think you can play a competitive game. But this isn't the game you pull out with somebody who's come over who's never never no played games before and said, hey, let's play Kingdom Builder and, and that you're something that you've played before. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to talk because I want you to talk, Cameron, but I just want to piggyback on that thought. I yeah. find it interesting that this was nominated for the spiel, which is mm-hmm. Family Game of the Year. I would yeah. not teach this to my family, not because mm-hmm. it's hard or mm-hmm. not easy to understand, but because you can have a bad game of this very mm-hmm. easily Yeah, because this game is highly skill based. Yeah. People will say this game is too lucky. I strongly disagree with that. Yeah. You will get beat by an experienced player every time in this game. Yeah. And you'll probably mm-hmm. get crushed. And so if you play it with people that don't play a lot and they make a lot of bad early placements cuz they just don't know what they're doing, they're going to have a horrible time. Yeah. Because this game will punish you if you make bad choices early. I mean, you will be punished. Yeah. In this game if you do that. Yeah. I feel like we're we're in a place where like it's really hard like if there are folks listening that have that have not played Kingdom Builder to really communicate this because I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there who have played it who are nodding right mm-hmm. who are like with us on this yep. but if you haven't played before you you might be going like why like what is right. so punishing about it and I think we just need to say it yep. okay so what can happen is let's say you you draw your first card and it's the grasslands or whatever the fields the meadow whatever we call it. 
and you make a placement and you just plop it down somewhere and say you plop it down and it happens Next to a castle. I guess three points. Right. And that, yeah, yeah. right. You're motivated by what getting a great three first points move. or whatever. Yeah. The thing is you don't know what your next one is going to be. And because you don't know where, what your next card is going to be, you're incentivized to place it potentially in a place that doesn't touch anything else. And we don't, we try not to get into like strategy, but I think it's, it's crucial for understanding the polarizing feelings about this game. So we kind of have to say it. So if you place your settlements down in a, in such a way that those settlements touch other types of terrain, you are determining where you're going to be placing your next settlements on the types of terrain that you just touched. That could be problematic Right, because you've just depending on what you, you draw, just narrowed turn, yeah. down your range of possibilities for your second card draw from four different ones, right? That would keep you from having to place adjacent to where you just placed the first time to like two or yeah. one, right? Because and that's you're counting usually, on a good draw at that. Correct. Point. That's right. well, what people get frustrated about is they're like, "Well, I didn't have a decision. All I just had, I got a, you know, I got one of these other cards, and I had to place right next to my other ones." And that sucks because what you generally are are needing to do is dance around the board to Mm -hmm. different spots and have a lot of options and stuff like that. And you're like, we didn't have any options, right? That very, very first move of the game is the most important move in the entire game. And understanding that is crucial to your opinion of the game. Yeah. Honestly, you you took the words right out of my mouth. In my opinion, the first three turns of this game are absolutely critical and i take a long time on them i think yeah. the last time we played this together not long ago i took a really long time on my first turn i didn't have anything on the board at that point and i took a while and i probably longer than i should have it was a long turn <laughs> but it was like a really hard decision and the reason why it was hard for me is just because i've played the game so many times my mind was going through all the permutations of how it could go wrong and that's where people, I think, mess up in this game is they're like, oh, I get points if I go here. But they're not going through the thought process of, but yeah, if I go here, what are all the things that can go wrong? Right. Yeah. And you have to go through all of those and try to figure out what is the best place for me to go. And usually it's getting next to one of those special locations. Mm. I think this is a good segue in our next point is talking about those because those will save you in yeah. this game and you need them because. They are what mitigates bad card draw. Yeah. They can but getting help. them is tricky, right? You have to plan to get yeah. them because you can't you can't just jump around the board unless you plan to be able to jump around the board. Right. Because they're spread out, right? Right. So if you place next to one, but then you lock yourself into that area because you're adjacent to a whole bunch of stuff, you're not getting any more. Yeah. It's the only one you get. But if you get the right one, so in the last game there was one if you build next to it, it lets you place in a flower field for free. My first placement, I placed next to that without placing next to flowers. Right. So then on my next turn, I knew, regardless of what card I drew, I would be able to go somewhere else on the board. Correct. And those are the kind of things you learn as you play the game more to get out of that situation of in in the game and you're just this huge blob in the corner because you could not get out. And and I think to say it more clearly, like your goal in the early part of the game is to diversify your options so that you don't feel the pain of being locked into one place. Yeah. And not being able to get out. Correct. What's fascinating though, is that like those goal cards shift your objective, right? Getting, getting a lot of those tiles is good, 
But like depending on what the goal cards is, being spread out all over the board is not necessarily a good thing, right? Correct. So so you're always every game is slightly different. It's not yeah. just spread out across the board as much as you can and get all the things, yeah. right? Because the objective might be your largest blob of connected things. Yes. Right. And so you're balancing what the actual like game scoring objectives are against yeah. the flexibility that you get from acquiring which, which it was our last game that was actually in yeah. play and i focused heavily on getting those special tiles that let you add another mm-hmm. building to the board so there are some that let you relocate yeah and there are some that actually let you add another so when you see a card like that is in play like having a big blob you're incentivized to get your buildings out fast and make a big one right right so I think that speaks to the point you were saying, Jason, of how every game is different. And that's coming back to how I said it's similar to Dominion. Right. When you play Dominion, every game of Dominion is different based upon the 10 cards that come out in the play. randomly select, yeah. Based on those 10 cards, your game will always, you'll never play the same game of Dominion twice. Right. In a similar fashion, based on what boards come out and thereby what special locations come out, and then the mix of scoring cards that come out, You'll never play the same game of Kingdom Builder twice. You have to adjust what special buildings are in play, what scoring cards are in play. Now, how do I execute those buildings to try to score as many points as possible? Yeah. I can definitely see that he was like the same designer. Mm-hmm. Bill, what do you think? Yeah, we need to bring Bill roll, roll, this. Bill, come on. Bill's see, asleep. This we, game we've sucks. played this game way more than Bill. But, Bill, I think your thoughts are valuable because you haven't played this yeah, game. Yeah, you represent the folks that, right. that oh, are yeah. new. Yeah. No, so... To Chris's point, on the the last game that we played, one of the point value cards were were clusters, like you're saying. You get a bunch of things out. And I want to say the game that we played in Origins, the way to score points was to connect. Connect the locations. Connect the cities and stuff like that. And I I remembered that the Jump the River card was a really important card to have. And some of these other other cards, like you were saying, that added things. Or you could pull one up and put it somewhere. It's a great one when that card is in play. Yeah, Exactly. And so, you know not having thought through really what the goals were on the table mm-hmm. and thinking, well, okay, these, these were valuable ones to have last last time. Let me get these and all kind of fuzzy logic it as we go. You can't do that in no, this game. Yeah, you yeah. really, like you're saying, need to think it through from the very beginning and how they connect. And I will say I, I was I was completely frustrated in this game. <laughs> I think that speaks to that experience thing, though, in this game again. And, and I fall in the same boat because I, I have not played this game nearly as much as Cameron and Chris. But, like, those special tiles – if you, the first couple times you play Kingdom Builder, you'll be like, "Why is that special?" Mm-hmm. Like jumping a house across a hex to another thing, like it's just one thing. Yeah. Like, it's just one thing. Like it doesn't really feel that important. Mm-hmm. And even if you are like, "Well, people told me these tiles are important, so I should get them," like that's only half the battle. You have to understand why they're important yeah. and how you use them. So each yeah. each ability that's in the game has a specific application, mm-hmm. right? It's like. This is good because you can do this thing, which lets you do this thing. It's like, right. Mm. And so it, it just takes time to absorb all that information. Yeah. Yeah. I think that goes back to the original point of like, you have to play this game several times to start to absorb enough information that you can begin to apply it to this like randomly generated yeah. set of circumstances that you're going to get every time. Well, I, I did know that I needed to set myself up so I could get, as many cities as I can so I can have as much presence in different places on the board. And I had thought I had done that. But to your point, I wasn't necessarily thinking along the lines of what could go wrong. I was thinking that 
let me get this city. I think this is a good one to have. I'm not really sure how it's going to play out in the end, but I, you know, at least I have one special city that I can play. But then I ended up drawing like two forests in a row that basically bound me to where right. my initial starting city was. And, and that was like the worst card I could get. So sure. not only was I, had I trapped myself, but when I got to the end of the game, I really wasn't working on any viable strategy to win the game in the, <laughs> in the right. first place once I got to the end. So I'm, I'm expressing, I think, the new guy to the table frustrations yeah. that yeah. you will experience if you haven't really thought through the interactions to all the things that you're looking at on the board. Yeah, and I think that actually speaks to kind of what Chris was talking about when he was, when he was uh, telling about taking a really long turn. Because when you're familiar with this game having that in your mind of how could this go wrong? Like that question, right. Includes the asking yourself the question, what if I get the same thing again? Right. Right. I say that before you place your first one, right. You're sitting there with forest yes. and you're like, okay, what if I get forest next turn? You should always ask yourself that question. Right. What yeah. happens? Is there a way that I can make it okay mm -hmm. if I get forest next turn? Yep. Totally. And, and and that may be the difference between placing on a city versus placing in the middle of a giant forest blob on the board. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's fascinating mm -hmm. when a game prompts you to think that way. Totally agree. So I have a question for you, Chris, what's the difference between the baseline and the expansion? Cause we were going to talk about and review the expansion part of this. Was that part of what we played? And yeah, this is one of those that has a million expansions yeah. and a million different variants and, stuff. and i've not played all the expansions in fact i own this game because you were like i'm getting the big box <laughs> <laughs> that's right and I, I will say so the expansions come with pluses and minuses so we played with nomads last time it added some things that i like some things i didn't like i didn't like the scoring cards but i will say the one nice thing about the expansions without talking too long on it because we could talk another 20 minutes about expansions but any expansion that gives you more boards with different special tiles mm -hmm. worth it because that's where it really gets fun is having those, again, those special actions that you can use to creatively figure out how to achieve your goals. Mm. The scoring cards in Nomads did this weird thing where you scored points during the game instead of oh, at the end yeah. of the game, which I didn't really love. Yeah. The Nomad spaces were just kind of fine, whatever. But again, more boards with more varied layouts, with more special locations that give you more interesting things you can do in your turn. Great. I agree and, with and that. It, it just gives more legs to the game which i think makes it even better yeah all right so cons everybody <laughs> bill <They just> suck. <laughs> um i will say you know if you're curating this game it's, it's interesting trying to find when and where do you pull this out because in some levels mm -hmm, i don't want to yeah. ever i don't ever play chris again because he's so far ahead of me uh -huh. <laughs> right but i mean i'm not going to yeah. play somebody completely new or, or maybe i could i could start with somebody new but, you know, finding that sweet spot where you feel like you're going to be competitive and have a chance at the end of it, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, this, is a, this is a weird game. This is one of those games where, you know, there are different philosophies on teaching. In this game, whenever I play it with new people, I always try to warn them about the pitfalls of early placements. Right. You don't want to tell somebody how to play a game because, you know, there's a part of fun of, like, discovery and figuring out sure. on your own. But at the same time, you because warn this can be so miserable. <laughs> Yeah. You have to tell people when you're introducing this to newer players, hey, look, if you place your first move and you place the next to four different terrain types on your first move, you probably should rethink that, you know, and just yeah. make it clear to them why that's bad. 
like playing mm-hmm. Age of Steam with somebody and not warning them that you can go bankrupt on your first turn. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just kind of have to. And I think if you do that, you can introduce it to new people. Otherwise, if you don't, you can just have a lot of like sour faces. I've seen that a lot. Yeah. Because they have a really bad game. They're not competitive. They're watching other people just do whatever they want. And they're like, well, it's just because I drew trees to it. You know, and it's just like, well, no, it wasn't. But it's not your fault. It's an experience thing. You just kind of have to learn how to play this game. You know what I mean? One thing I want to say about this game is that, like, I had the same feeling about this game when I first started playing it. And when I got kind of past that initial, like, grumble about the one card thing, because I was one of those people initially. I think everybody. I had the same feelings that about this game that I had about Catan when I first discovered that like board games aren't for just super nerdy people (laughs) before I realized that I was one of those super nerdy people. (laughs) And I still feel that way. Right. Like I still, it has that kind of like magical feeling of like, Oh wow, you can play this game infinitely and it's still fun every time, you know, like dominion, like dominion. Oh gosh. Like dominion. We, my wife and I played so much dominion. A million but, times and it's different every and, time. Yeah. And and that's so awesome. I'm I am I giving final thoughts of my already? We might as well. It was fun okay. to do it. We're probably wrong. Sure, one. that's go fine. for it. So yeah, I mean that's how I felt about this game. It was like, wow, you can just set this thing up, play it again. It's different every time. I feel like I can grow my comprehension of the game every time and try to do something a little bit different. It's just got that like replayability factor that is sky high. I never feel like I'm gonna take the same strategy. Maybe some like general things like try to pick up the special tiles, try to hit cities like that kind of stuff. Um, But the fact that you're going to be given a new set of scoring objectives every game, the map is going to change every game. The special tiles are going to change every game. And you're you're tasked with. Figure out how to optimize that. Yeah. How am I going to do it this time? Exactly. It's just so cool. And feeling like, okay, how do I look for synergies, mm-hmm. right? Is there is there a synergy between one of the special tiles and one of the scoring objectives, right? Like like I think about hermits and the paddock, right? Yeah. If that oh, if that yeah. lines up for you, it's like gold, man. Especially you get two of them, right? Exactly. And you're breaking up everything, exactly. Right? You've got like and a million broken up, and you're able right? to just like optimize your turn like that, like. It's just so satisfying. And so I, I love this game. I will say, I think we were we were trying to sort it out, and I don't know where we landed on this. There used to be an iOS version of this game, mm-hmm. and I played I don't know how many Me games too. like that. Talking about talking about on the, on the toilet phone games. <laughs> Man, I, I crushed this one. And it's not available anymore on, on iOS. I don't know if like the oh, really? developer, like it expired or something Ugh. like that, but I couldn't find it when I was trying to, to get it on the, on the latest. I have, you know, whatever the latest iOS is. I think Bill maybe found some online ways to to play it. I, f- I found a, a browser version, but it wasn't just wasn't a good one. It wasn't good. It, okay. Yeah, I couldn't figure out. Well, at least on the phone, it wasn't. I didn't try it on my laptop, okay. so it might be better. On the your the iOS one that I played back in the day on on I think it was like iPad and and the iPhone. It would like show you. You, know, you click a move, and it comes back to your turn. It would show you based on the terrain card that you had where you were eligible to place. Mm-hmm. So it would kind of rule out a lot of the like am I can I place there right. and like the What's misplacements yeah. and that kind of stuff. Your only options to click was like on a hex that you were allowed to go. And so it made speaking of playing this game multiple times, I mean you could play a game in five minutes. Yeah. Right? Wherever I might find it convenient to play. <laughs> 
so uh my my thoughts on this i mean in terms of a rank is like i mean gosh i mean this is a six for me uh yes easily nice it's not a, even that's a rare that's a rare <laughs> gift from a rare sighting in this episode <laughs> it's a six easily nice. i play this game any day yeah nice okay kingdom builder how do i love thee <laughs> let me count the ways <laughs> <laughs> I won't rehash it all. I think we've gone over it enough. I've gushed about it. I will say one thing about this game, though. This is a little tangential, but I'm going to throw it in there for funsies. I think this game is a good reminder of how important being a reviewer is mm. and how you have to be really careful about your opinions. I'm not trying to be too negative here, but this game is a bit of a cautionary tale. I'm convinced when this game first came out in 2011, the Dice Tower dogged this game. Mm. Like, dogged it. Big time because of the single card draw thing. Like this game sucks. This game is terrible. It has rebounded since then for sure. Mm. But I am convinced that had that review not come out like that, this game would be in the top 200 easy. Really? I, I really do. Wow. I, because I think a lot of people just discounted it yeah. after that review. Never tried it, never played it, or were just internally biased just because of that single card draw thing. And I think that that is not an issue, but you have to, to play the game a few times to figure out that it's actually not an issue, right? Mm-hmm. But anyways, that's just an aside. That's Sorry, Miss Lupin. Yeah, maybe you still have a chance. That's me just trying nah. to say diff- something <laughs> different from Cameron. This game is freaking awesome. This game is one of the best games ever made. It is my number two game of all time wow. behind Strasburg. So yeah, it's obviously a six for me. Let's this go. Game is amazing. That's right. Kingdom Bill for life. <laughs> it's a two. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right, Jason. All right. So it was interesting for me to come at this game from a review number perspective because, A, I know how much you two love it, and I love it also. I think it's a great game. However, I've played it a fraction of the times that you guys mm. have. And so, I don't know, there was something weird in me that was hesitating to give this game a six just because I don't have as much experience having played it. So I originally wrote down five. Mm. I mean, I think this game is a six, to be honest. I haven't played it enough to like really settle into that number, Mm -hmm. I don't think. But I think it's there. Mm. I'm going to give it a five because that's what I can give it right now. Mm -hmm. But I think that it is a six, and I want to play it more to be able to like qualify that. I guess if that makes any sense. We can probably mm-hmm. make that happen. Yeah, yeah. for sure. A retreat coming up. Let's finish yes. this episode. January, <laughs> let's go. Let's finish this recording. <laughs> Seriously. So, I, I will say the last time I played, I didn't enjoy this game at all. And I mean, it was just I mean, it it was just like going to the dentist by the time we got to the end of it. I mean, it was like, here, let's, let's have a root canal on the other side of your mouth after we finish this root canal. Um, but, you know, it was because I, I, I was not seeing the strategies. It's interesting that you compared it to Dominion because with Dominion, I think even with new players, they can kind of pick up the a lot of the, the card interactions and mm. pick up synergies. Well, Dominion is not punishing. Exactly. Not punishing. Yeah. Right. And then that's what I'm, I'm saying. It's like this one, you can get involved in a game and – again, it's a really long game for you to know that you're not competitive. Yeah. Sure. And so there's, yeah. I mean, for to say it's a six isn't a six, certainly for everybody. Like if you're the person who's in there, who's getting it, who's doing those other stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it can be great. It's got a good bones for that kind of strategy, but there's going to be like, I think bones? we've said it a lot of times. There's gonna be a lot of people. <laughs> that are just not, 
that are not going to get to that point to want to do it. And especially if they're playing with people who've been playing it for a long time, long time. So anyway, it's just, it's an, like I it's, it's just an interesting kind of thing to curate about when do you play it? When do you get it out? When do you try to cultivate somebody else who's going to play it? Cause it's going to be that special person that's going to stick with it long enough to get to the point where you're at now. Yeah. yeah. Right. For sure. So anyway, I'm going to give it a five just because it's, it's got that painful aspect to it. It could grow into a six if I, you know, if, if we play it for a while and I, I feel like I can get competitive. I think it's got all the bones for it. It's got all the things I think I like in a game, but I think it's got a downside to it that would make a lot of people not like this game. Yeah, yeah I could see that. Yeah. It's like looking at a waterfall and not knowing like how awesome the cave behind the waterfall is, right? <laughs> right. Like you have to go through like difficult yeah. phase Get first. Hammered on the head a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. It's the it's the valley on the other side of the mountain peak. Yeah. Which again, I think I think your cons are valid, but I think all these cons that we mentioned and the one you just mentioned specifically mm-hmm. speaks to the fact that it is indeed not luck. Right. I cannot tell you how many times people have said this game is just too lucky. But then they're like, but the good player always wins. Okay. Well. So is it lucky? So is it lucky? (laughs) Right? Well, in fact, it's not lucky. The reason why the better player wins this game is because it's actually highly skill-based. Yeah. It's just fact. Right? But but it does benefit really highly from, like, not like you played it twice or you've played it before, but, like, you've played it 17 times minimum. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you you, you have to play it a lot. Yeah, for sure. All right, I think we've drilled our point home <laughs> sufficiently. So where can we find it? All right, so there are copies at Noble Knight for as low as $18. I mean, come on. Really? Yes. If you never played it, just come on. 18 That's, that's the base game, not the giant big box. That's not that the big box. Has. Base game, $18. That's 100 plus. 10 off gems for another 10% off. That's $16. Yeah, this game is so in print, it's crazy. You can find it in any board game store. 99 copies on the BGG Marketplace. I mean, good grief. And, you know, mm. There's no reason you can't play this game if you if you want to. Isn't there a new version of it? I feel like I remember seeing a new version yeah, of Origins. A, there was. like a Winter frost. Garden, I yeah, think, is yeah. what it's it called. It looked like they I'm were... I've not played it. I mean, yeah, I haven't played it either, but from... Perverting it, It probably. looked like they were, like, ruining it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, get that away from me. The guy at the booth said they fixed all the problems. There are no problems. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let me guess. You get to draw five cards on your turn and go wherever you want. Well, that sounds. There was fun. like a there was like a gold like banking gold element oh, or something like that. Vomit. You could spin on your turn to get special moves. Yeah, and... you could spin this gold if you get stuck in the corner and you can relocate. Let's just take all the pain away. You know, <laughs> get that crap away from me. Oh <laughs> man! All right. Well, those are our thoughts. Kingdom Builder. That's right. All right. Well, that was fun going through a couple of these (laughs) games. But as promised by Chris at the beginning of the episode, now is when we go through all of the, what Mm -hmm. is it, the nominees? and Recommended and nominated. Recommended and nominated games from 2011. Um, Right? 2011? 2012. I didn't even get the year right. right. What are we doing here? 2012. All the games for the spiel. Okay, so before we get into the list, we do this every so often on the podcast. We go over our grading scheme. I think it's probably important we do that now. So Hidden Gems grades on a 1 to 6 scale, with 1 being the lowest, 6 being the highest. We give a game a 1. That means we do not like the game, and we don't like it because we think there's something mechanically wrong with the game, not because we really, really hate it, like Jason (laughs) hates Miss Lupin. 
but because we don't like it because there's something wrong with it mechanically. If we give a game a two, that means we just really, really hate it. Like Jason hates Miss Lupin, <laughs> but it's not because there's anything mechanically wrong with the game. We just don't like fun and we don't it's have good taste. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Three is what we call the meh game. These are games that we don't think are bad necessarily. They just don't excite us. They don't do anything for us. It's, they're just a Passover for us. They're just meh. Four is a good game. These are games we enjoy playing. If somebody wanted to pull it off the shelf and play it, we would be up for it. We enjoy it. Put it in your collection. Put in For me, I would keep it. Five, excellent, above average, a great game. Excited to play it. Excited to introduce it to new players. And then six is our top score. These are our favorite games. These are the games that we enjoy the most. The games that Cameron puts into his collection. Yes. All five of them. <laughs> That's right. So... How we're going to do this is I'm, I'm just going to go through my list. I'm going to rank these 11 games from 11th to 1st and just give a quick review, a number rating according to the scale that we just talked about, and we'll go around. Do it. It's a good way for everybody just to kind of get one last time our feelings on these games. Yeah, and hear about a couple games that we didn't talk about. We didn't talk about, right? right, yeah. exactly. There are very few games on this list this time that we haven't actually reviewed in a it's previous true. episode. So Deliberate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for me, number 11 was an easy one. Miss Lupin. Oh, my gosh. For sure. Wow. Falls at number 11. That's a two. I just gave it a two. Uh, not going to elaborate on that anymore. If you want to know, go listen to the review. Number 10 for me, Dirty Pig. Yeah. <laughs> I debated Dir- Dirty Pig and Miss Lupin, the ordering. Honestly, I gave Dirty Pig a higher rating because it was about pigs and it actually had a theme and it wasn't a beige beige spreadsheet. But honestly, they're both equally terrible. So they they both get a two for me. I won't go into Dirty Pig and why I'm giving it that rating. I'm sure the rest of y'all will talk about it. Number nine for me was Kalamambo. I gave this a two when we reviewed it. Like I said, when we reviewed it, it was a funny kids game. My kids enjoyed it. We played it with them. But I don't know. There's just not much game there for me. Mm-hmm. Number eight. This is going to be a surprise, but I had to put it here because it's the number that I gave it. Kulami. Whoa. Kulami was a three. I gave it a three. Okay. Um, I mean, I didn't hate Kulami, like I said in the episode, but based on the, the rankings that I've given these games, that's where it falls for me. Wow. Okay. Number seven, Rapa Nui. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that doesn't mean it's a bad game. I gave this game a four. Yeah. Right. I, I did not dislike Rapa Nui. It could be suffering from some, what's the right way to say it? It's just been a long time. Sure. Diminished um, memory. Diminished, yeah, memory. diminished memory. Slash you never played it at three. Uh, I, I is think that true? That that matters. I played it with you and Baglio. Oh, well, Baglio maybe you did. House. I don't know. But maybe somebody else played too. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. I don't remember. Either way, I like this game. Mm-hmm. I gave it a four. Uh, it just so happens that it fell lower than some of the others for me. Okay. Number six, Eselsbruka. So this would be higher for you. I like this one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, this was a tough list. Like, honestly, like, I, I don't think my number eight is a bad game, right? Like, I don't think Kulami is a bad game. I just had to rank them in terms of which ones would I most want to play. Sure. Eselsbruka, this was a great game. I really <laughs> yeah. enjoyed the storytelling aspects of it. For me, I think the one thing that pulled this down was I did try to play this with my family. Uh-huh. And they struggled. And it took a long time. And they were all like, what are we doing right you, now? You really have to commit. 
Yeah. In this game. You have to commit to being goofy and like the memory element of it. And it just didn't fly with them. And I, I don't think that's like a universal thing. I think it would work great with, with certain groups, but I think that, that pulled it back a little bit for me of like, I would love to play it with you guys again, but maybe not in that environment. <laughs> Number five for me, also, a, also a four Las Vegas. Mm, okay. This is a good game. It's not one that I'm going to like gravitate towards all the time. But I think it's interesting. There's strategy here. Area control is always a fun mechanism for me. But yeah, give that a four. Number four for me, Pictomania. Yeah, okay. I really like this one. <laughs> I'd never played it before. Uh, we played it leading up to this episode just so we would all have been able to play it. The, the real-time drawing aspect where you're trying to draw something while you're also looking at what other people are drawing and trying to get chips out and then trying to be the first one to finish to grab a chip in the center... And just like the the creativity of like the level of detail or the nuance between the different words. It'll be like a card has forest and old growth forest and, you know, like maple the, tree, oak tree. Yeah, yeah, like these words that are so nuanced in their differences that you have to be creative in like how you how you differentiate. Yeah. Because otherwise that, people will make mistakes in guessing what you're trying to draw. Right. Yeah. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so I like that one. Number three for me, I gave this one a four. Also, I had to go back and like look up all, all these numbers that I gave these games. Indigo. I gave mm. Indigo a four. I really like this one, too. I, and I remember distinctly that I like this one enough that I borrowed it from you. And yeah. I took it home and I played it with my kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they enjoyed it, too. So I liked this one. It's simple. It has like a weird cooperative, you're working with your neighbors element to yeah. it. So I enjoyed that one. Number two, Santa Cruz. Mm. I gave this a five when we reviewed it earlier. So much to talk about on this one. Yeah, listen to the review. I'm not going to go into the details. A really crunchy one. And then, of course, number one, Kingdom Builder. Nice. Um, Six. So, yeah. Nice. For me, me, number 11, easy, dirty pig. This game is horrible. (laughs) So bad. This game is a two. It's just take that craziness. It's not worth checking out. Nope. Number 10, Kali Mambo. I gave this a three. It's not bad. It's just not my kind of game. Trying to double think, outguess your opponents, play the right card to avoid danger. It's good for kids. It's just fine. My first controversial one right off the bat, number nine, Las Vegas. Ooh, I'm surprised. Yeah, and this is a see that. This is a beloved game. Yeah, I can see that. This game is like in the top 500 on BGG. I think Las Vegas is. It's fine. Like I said, I gave it a three. The thing about Las Vegas is. Is I feel like every time I roll my dice and decide where I'm going to put them on the casinos, like you're thinking, but I always feel like I'm making the best move. You know what I mean? Like it's pretty obvious. It all almost yeah. always feels like pretty obvious, and then after that, it's just kind of like wait and see what happens. You know, like there'll be a lot of funny ha ha moments, like oh you tied me there, and now I don't get anything. But I don't know. The decision space in this one's pretty small. I just don't love it. Number eight, Miss Lupin. <laughs> Give it a four. As I mentioned in the review, I don't think it's terrible. I enjoyed it. Oof. Does it say something that your number eight is a four? Seriously? So it was Jason's. <laughs> no, my number eight was a three. My number seven was a four. Okay, fair. Number seven, Pick the Mania. Gave it a four also. It's good. It's just there are games I like more than this one. I agree with Jason. I think the way the cards are done, especially if you do the harder cards with like, mm-hmm. how do you draw jealousy? Or how do you draw... <laughs> It's just crazy words. 
And trying to figure out how to convey yeah. that to the table is entertaining. Number six, Indigo. Heresy. I like Suro more than this game, which is probably why this mm. one is a little bit lower within this list. The shared incentive aspect of trying to guide the gems through the goal sometimes frustrated me. Um, just because sometimes a table can just decide you're just not going to win this game. But <laughs> The bill factor. I st- yeah, the bill factor. <laughs> but I still like the game. Number five, Essel's Bruca. It's just hilarious. But again, you have to buy into it. Number four, Kalami. This game is rising. I've played this game numerous times with Knox since we played it together mm. for the review, and it gets better and better. It could go even higher. Okay. This game's good. Number three, Rapa Nui. I gave this a five. The idea of having an auction-ish mechanic of contributing cards to make a card more valuable that you just gave up to make it more value so you have less of it in your hand is wild and pretty interesting. Yeah. Best at three, though. Number two, I agree with Jason Santa Cruz. This game is awesome. If you've not found it or played it, you should seek it out. It's good. And the number one, Kingdom Builder. <laughs> Easily. Easy. Kingdom Builder. All right, Bill. All righty. I'm going to go fast. Uh, 11 Sturdy Pig, reasons that you said. 10, I have his Kalamambo. Nine's Rapa Nui for me, just partly because I couldn't remember it that well. <laughs> not memorable. <laughs> not, not memorable. I do okay. remember it kind of being, and I think I probably played it with four too. So yeah. it was just not Oof. that memorable. Eight for me was Miss Lupin. Uh, wow, you like Miss Lupin more than Rapa Nui. That's wild. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Well, I just, yeah, yeah. Uh, seven, uh, Pictomania. I enjoyed Pictomania when we played it, but it was, uh, you guys didn't like my pictures. So it was like, I was excellent at drawing. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Six, uh, Esselbrucka. I had, mm-hmm. I had a good time with that, but I'm telling you, this is, it, it's a terrible memory game. And I just, that just, I don't know, made me feel bad by the end of it. Five, I had Kalami. Number four, Indigo. I enjoyed that when we played it. Yeah. I like the team's aspect of that. Three, I like Las Vegas. I thought there mm-hmm. was, I mean, to me, there was, it was just a fun I game to play. I'm in the minority here, I no doubt. I get why people like it. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. fun. Two, Santa Cruz, and one, Kingdom Builder. So, finishing nice. up like Santa Cruz, Kingdom Builder, one, two again. I mean, I think, I'm not trying to bias you, Cameron, but those are like <laughs> the best two, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally and you're wrong you if now. you pick anything else. <laughs> no pressure, Cameron. Cameron's going to say what he wants anyway. I'm not going to bias him, but I do find that interesting. Number 11, I Kingdom Builder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to, had to re, readjust everything because um, I hadn't until five seconds ago remembered what Las Vegas was, and now mm. I remember it, and now I have to change my rankings. <laughs> okay. So hold, please. Moving things around. Okay, I'm ready. All right, we're excited. Okay, so qualifier here, I only have 10, not 11 to rank because I never played Kalamambo and I don't have an opinion on it. So right. I'm not going to give it any rating. Uh, so we'll just leave that there. Number 10, Dirty it's Pig. It's number 11. <laughs> <laughs> number, number 10, Dirty Pig. Uh, there's just really no telling. I rank this as a one. I think it's just a random card drop fest. And it's. Uh, I don't mind being the one to... S- sit here and take a, a big poop on it while I, I play Kingdom Builder. <laughs> <laughs> I debated a one. I think there's valid. I don't think it's a game. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number nine, Miss Lupin, because it's 
trash. <laughs> Pictomania is number eight. Whoa. Oh, really? I did not have any fun playing Pictomania. Can, can I interject real quickly? Yeah. And this is a compliment to you. I think one of the reasons you didn't like Pictomania, you're an excellent drawer. Yeah. And, and drawing this game well emphasizes takes time, speed, my friends. And cameras over there are like drawing these amazing pictures and we're all like. Bruh. Yeah. At least in games like Jackbox game, uh, Drawful, you have like a minute to draw right. an amazing picture of yourself before <laughs> the game starts and during the game. But this game, you're, yeah, you're just like rushing through and like, you I are. don't know how to communicate a concept without like at least trying to draw it kind of good. Yeah. And so having to focus on drawing and looking at everyone else's and comprehending it and trying to remember what was on the like list of 6,000 things on the cards to try to narrow it down to a guess that are all crazy was really frustrating to me. So solid two for me Two, and that's Pictomania at number eight. Wow. Number seven, Rapa Nui. I remember getting my booty kicked in this game and not caring whether I won or lost, which is a bad sign for me. Which puts that as a three. <laughs> Number six. This feels a little bit high, but the rest of the games I think are better. Indigo. I ah. had fun playing Indigo. I gave it a four. Yeah. But that's at number six. Okay. I did like the whole Team Suro field that that had. Next up is number five, Santa Cruz. Okay. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting game. And uh, I think I had maybe just like, hey this is more like life contextual, but like I hadn't played games in like a really long time. And that was the night that we went to the, uh, the brewery, the brewery yeah. to play games. And like, I just had a lot of fun that night. So, you know, Santa Cruz gets more points. <laughs> Next up is Las Vegas at number four. Okay. I thought this was interesting. And I generally, for whatever reason, generally like dice rolling games. And I don't know. I had fun with it. I think mm -hmm. I probably lost terribly, but dice games are fun. Next up is Kulami. I, I, that's number three. Nice. I gave it a four. I hold by that. Esselsburka, I had just loads of fun yeah. playing Esselsburka. Kind of yeah, that's number two. I think someone in the Discord is probably going to call me out because they like make charts of what we rate things and know better than I do. But I think I gave it a five. If I didn't, I feel five-ish about it right now, <laughs> remembering my plays of it. So I, I just remember having a lot of fun making up the stories. So Esselsbrucka there. Five is your truth for that game. Right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously number one with the six is Kingdom Builder. Nice. I love this game. If you haven't played it, please give it a shot. If we haven't gushed over it enough Seriously. in this episode. So there you go. Woo, four lists. Good times. Woo. And you know, if you like lists, you may be interested in checking out our Patreon. We mm. don't talk about this all the time, but we do a podcast, another sort of shorter form, like 15 to 20 minute, like podcast on our Patreon. Every tier has access to it. And we range from board game topics to Bill's philosophical uh, <laughs> tirades to just all sorts of different things mm. on that podcast. And occasionally we actually do do sort of these lightning round lists of not just board game stuff, but just sometimes just stuff movies, just movies from the, our childhoods that we enjoyed and whatever. So if that's kind of your speed, check us out over at Patreon. Uh, look us up. I think it's patreon.com slash hidden gems podcast. Mm -hmm. We've got tiers that go from $2 a month up to, I think 15 where we like review a game that you want to review, which we 
we've done, I think twice Mm -hmm. at this point, which has been really fun for us. So if that's your, if that's something that you're interested in, jump in there and you can get access to the backstage podcast and yeah, we have a lot of fun and it's a little less sort of scripted because we're so scripted on this podcast, but we polished, (laughs) we leave in more, uh, more jokes. And just to quickly, I'm glad you mentioned you'll get a bonus review. If you sign up or if you're already a part of Patreon, we're going to be reviewing search for the lost species in this backstage episode. We've talked about search for planet X and this is kind of the new sequel game to that. So we'll be talking about that one tonight. That's right. So head on over there, get signed up to any of the tiers, whatever kind of suits your budget. It's a great way to support the podcast. We pay our bills really through Patreon, uh, our, our Patreon folks, uh, which is great. Cause obviously our bills, we don't pay bill. <laughs> we don't pay bill, but we do pay our bills, you know, podcast hosting and websites and all that stuff. This is a, a, a listener supported podcast. So yep. with that said, we actually want to just say thanks to all those who are out there who support the show. Thank you so much for keeping this thing alive. Yes. Yeah. Thanks guys. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this uh, special Spiel de Yaris 2012 edition of Hidden Gems. If you like what we're doing here, please remember it's a huge help if you'd leave us a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow us on our various social media platforms. Those simple things do make a difference for our show's exposure so more folks can enjoy exploring games with us. You can check out our BGG Guild if you want to interact with us or share a game that you think is a hidden gem. And if you're inclined, you can go over to Patreon, jump on there, listen to the Backstage episode, or you could go over to our website. You could pick up some merch. We've got t-shirts. We've got hats. All of those things support the show and kind of give us the energy to keep going, keep providing you with these hidden gems. And until next time, I'm your host, Cameron. It's Chris. I'm Jason. And this is Bill. Thanks for listening. This episode of Hidden Gems, number 57, was recorded in Raleigh, North Carolina on November 29, 2023. Christmas time is here. Join us again in three weeks as we take a look at three games so small they can fit in your Christmas stocking. But will they be Christmas gems or lumps of coal? Tune in to find out. Hidden Gems is produced and edited by Chris Alley, Cameron Lockie, and Jason Yonchalov. Our Board Game Geek Guild is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Ghidorah. Our Discord channel is monitored and managed by honorary Hidden Gems team member, Snoozefest. Our show's logo was illustrated by designer and artist, Caitlin Nieto. Check out her work on Instagram at It's Caitlin Nieto. We would love to hear from you. Feel free to join the discussion on our many social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook at Hidden Gems Board Game Podcast, Instagram at hiddengems.podcast, and Twitter at Hidden Gems Board. Disagree with one of our reviews? Have something you want to say about one of the games we discussed today? You can also make your voice heard on our Board Game Geek Guild at boardgamegeek.com, guild number 3874. Once again, thank you for joining us on Hidden Gems, and until next time, fellow gem seekers, enjoy your games and enjoy your search.